Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM. And a good Monday afternoon, Saskatchewan. Welcome inside the Monday Sports Cage for the Connexus Arts Centre. Coming up on the program, Daniela Ponticelli, who you've heard many times on these airwaves, doing the rider pre- and post-game shows, sideline reporting. She's now the TV broadcaster for the Professional Women's Hockey League Broadcast. She will check in. Also in Hour 2, we will visit with Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press to find out what is all this hullabaloo about the Winnipeg Jets not having enough attendance that they might have to move at some point. Cal Bratton from the Melford and Area Chamber of Commerce checks in to tell us all about the Curling Day in Canada Festival that they had over the weekend in that city. And in Hour 3, the Bob McCowan, the same Bob McCown, who is Canada's number one sports talk show host for decades, will join us. We'll find out what Bob knows about Saskatchewan. I wonder if he's ever been out here before. And Emma Miskew, who is the third from the Scotties winning Team Ontario, Rachel Holman, will join us also in Hour 3. Uh, you can text us on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line at 306 936 6262 or call us toll free at 1-866-767-0620 follow us on social media on x or facebook at sports cage is our handle brendan mcguire in the cage with you for this edition of the program pete pasco will join us a little bit later here in hour one but right now as we open the show we go out to the western pizza hotline garrick jones is a longtime cfl and nfl offensive lineman who has started a petition about a proposal to make the Edmonton Elks go private. They're one of three publicly owned franchises in the Canadian Football League today, and there's a push to see if maybe that will change. Garrick joins us on the line now. Garrick, welcome to the program. Do you have a lot of memories of playing at Old Taylor Field when you were in the Canadian Football League? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. We've had some really good games out that way, man, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been a while, but, man, it's some fun memories. I can tell you that much. Well, I know you had a solid career up here. I remember driving into Calgary one day and all over Sports Talk Radio, they were um, jabbering about the trade of Garrick Jones coming to the Stampeders, and I don't I think it was maybe Goche. It doesn't matter. It was a Canadian yeah, offensive lineman. Yeah, uh, exactly. Who went exactly. out the other way. And as you know, in this Canadian Football League, um, teams don't generally like to get rid of a Canadian for an American. So, obviously... On the field, you must have made a tangible difference in order for them to uh, to make a deal like that. So this petition, Man, I, I like to I like to think I did okay. You know, uh, hopefully I I made the impressions that I, I needed to. Man, and it, like I say, it, it's one of those things where I was able to come up and and play some good ball, man. And and that's what really drawn me drawn me back to the CFL, man. It's uh it was the best time that I ever had, you know, as a professional athlete. So man, I, I love the CFL. So this petition of yours, how did it come mm -hmm. about? Well, essentially, you know, I'm, I'm a GP of a private equity fund. 
so I, I've always looked at ownership as that would be the next step in the maturation for, for my career. You know, it's only so long you can play, uh, and, and you have to kind of go to a new, a, new, a new demographic, if you will. And I knew that, you know, ownership is really, really, really going to get us to the next level. Uh, so I, I've been working on that for a while, you know, and I, and I put together the fund with, uh, with my partners. And, it, you know, the fund thesis and the, what we really focus on is sports acquisitions and real estate. Uh, so it just it was one of those things where I had I threw my name in the hat, uh, you know, for the potentiality of uh, owning uh, the Alouettes when they were looking for an owner, and then also the expansion play, right? Um, I threw my name in the hat, so I got an opportunity to really get in and, and, and make some inroads when it came down to the consulting firm that the CFL was using, using and and had a chance to speak with you know some of the higher ups of the league and and made the the the, the, the proposals, you know, and. And then from there, you know, we, we had the opportunity to really figure out what direction that they wanted to go. And I was keeping up with what was going on with Edmonton and, you know, how their community owned, but, you know, hemorrhaging when it came down to, you know, the finances, right? So I know that that's a storage franchise. Uh, so, and I had played for them. So at the end of the day, I said, man, this, this could be an opportunity. And, I, you know, I, I, I asked them, you know, what does that look like? You know, what, what is the probability? And they said, man, it's a pretty good chance that they would have to go that way in order to save the team. Uh, so, you know, when it came down to the petition, man, basically what I'm looking to do is just galvanize the fans, you know, because it's, without the fans you don't have anything. So I want their voices to be heard. Um, I want to be able to attach a dollar amount to those signatures in which, you know, with the different athletes that we'll have coming back, um, you know, it's going to be some really, really big numbers, you know, when it comes down to different people that follow them and follow myself. And, and with this with this petition, it just gives everybody a chance to be involved with it, you know, pretty much in, in what they want. The fans have to speak, you know. If they want something different, they want to go to the next level, you know, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that we have the, the proposal and we have the, the, the concise plan for it, you know. Why would a money-losing CFL franchise be an attractive thing to you and your investors? Well, for one, um, when it comes down to the team itself, that's not necessarily a profitable situation. But because there's so many other things that we would bring to the table in regards to revenue um, outside of your ticket sales, parking, concessions, and merchandise, um, it's very appealing, right? Because you know, eventually we want to get into the real estate portion of it um, and also the development of, of, of potential stadiums, sports and entertainment districts. So this is an opportunity with where Edmonton is and where Edmonton can, can go. Uh, it's very attractive when it comes down to all of the ancillary revenue generators we'll bring to the table. Uh, so it's not just the, the team itself. It's not just the sport. It's so, much, so many other things that you can surround the sport with as a hedge of protection. Uh, for that financial uh, scenario that they're going through right now. So we can edge that bet when it comes down to really having symbiotic relationships with other teams, having things going on. There's so many things that we can do to make it really, really attractive to investors. Can you tell us who some of the other athletes are part of your group? Oh, man. Um, Damon Allen is one. Uh, I have Adam Rita. Uh, he's not necessarily an athlete, but he, he was a mainstay in the CFL. I got Dan Comiskey, Fred Stamps. I have uh, Calvin McCarty, uh, Tag Cornegay, Nick Lewis. Um, man, it's it's so many guys, man, so many guys. And so many are, are reaching out now, right? You know, Kevin Glenn, 
Henry Burris. Uh, man, it's it's a lot of the guys that I played with that respect my mind in reference to business and saw how I moved whenever I wasn't playing because I was always into other things, you know, outside of the game. I was always into business and those things. So I got a lot of guys that are reaching out. And it's not just uh, the CFL guys. Like, I have a ton of NFL guys. Like, Isaac Boots is on my board. Um, I have uh, Orlando Pace. We got a lot of guys, man. It, and they, they're coming in by droves, man, because they really believe in what it is that we have on the table and, and the fact that we can pull it off, you know. And, and a lot of people are starting to see it now that this is something that could, that could potentially happen. Garrick Jones is our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline. He's leading a group to try and purchase the Edmonton Elks. Have you engaged the league office and um, gone through those steps, and do you have their approval? Uh, well, I won't say their approval yet, um, but I've talked to the league. I've talked to the league in reference to, like I say, you know, I put my name in the hat and put my company's name in the hat for Montreal uh, and also the expansion out in Halifax. So, you know, we've gone through the preliminary situations. We talked with the, the COO and, and, and situations like that and just presented to them, you know, what our thoughts were, you know, what plans were, what we were looking at, and also, you know, through Park Lane, their consulting firm, you know, we've, we've had numerous conversations with them, and, uh, and, and it looks good, man. I'll, I'll be honest with you, it looks really good, and what we got um, will be hard to beat. I'll put it to you like that because, in this position and in this situation, it's about the fans. We've got to get the fans back, right? We've got to be able to uh, help not only take the team but take the league to the next level. So this is much bigger than just a businessman or a businesswoman coming to the table for an organization that has capital because we got capital, you know, but it's about the vision. It's about, you know, really upholding the traditions but at the same time bringing in innovation so we can go to the next level because it's time for the CFL to do that. Many of the listeners to this program are fans, season ticket holders, and supporters of a franchise, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, that is not privately owned and has long been viewed as the flagship franchise of the CFL. In fact, for many, many years, it's been looked at as though the three pillars of strength around the league, at least until recently in Edmonton, have been the three community-owned teams, the Elks, the Blue Bombers, and the Rough Riders. What would you say to us in Saskatchewan who maybe aren't sold on the idea that it has to be privately owned, that that's any better than public, the public model that's worked so well for so many years? Well, I'll say this. Uh, in reference to what we're bringing to the table, we have a community model inside of our private ownership group. Uh, we have a DAO in which the fans will be able to vote on a lot of different aspects of what goes on. We'll have a fan advisory board. Uh, we'll invite them into the building, right, where now their voices are heard. And you'll have groups that will represent represent the fans, right, because without the fans, you don't have anything. Without the players, you have a very, a very good idea, but no actionable items out there. So understanding that and, and being able to see it on the inside out and on the outside in uh, as a player and as a fan, that's what we're bringing to the table, man. We're, we're, we're going to take it back to the essence. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to bring our hard hats and we're going to go to work. Uh, and that's how it should be. It should be a scenario where, you know, if the fans want to see certain things, they'll have the opportunity to speak on that and it'd be heard by the organization. Unfortunately, a lot of times fans and, and athletes, are, and I've said it before, I looked at it as commodity. And we want to change that. You know, we're here to bridge that gap. Uh, uh, from the players to the, to the fans and to the organization and turn that into a family. Uh, and that's the reason why we're fighting like hell to get in, 
right? If you have any groups that are fighting as hard as we are in order to get in, uh, you need to really look at them because they see it, they understand the essence of it, and they want to be able to take this thing to the next level because it's not about the money, it's not about the, the ego, it's not about a vanity play. This is about really, really looking at what the fans bring to the table and these diehard fans that have been fans for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. You know, they have something to say and they should be heard. And that, with what we're bringing to the table, is what sets us apart. Uh, we're not here to bring a corporate structure in, in certain aspects of it, but at the end of the day, we've done the research, we've done the, the homework, we've done the heavy lifting. So now it's time for all of us to get together and make this thing uh, do what it needs to do. And, and, and that's, that's, in essence, what we're about, man. It's teamwork. That's, that's what it is. That's why I'm bringing all the athletes back. So there can be a situation of, of, of the fans being able to identify with them and then bringing the innovation for the younger fans. So we're going to bridge that gap. Fans in this country have um, at, at times been reluctant to embrace American ownership coming in. And I, I shouldn't say American, just non-local ownership. I, I think that local ownership has long been the priority of most pro sports franchises whenever they're looking for right. a new owner. Um, now, we, we're seeing the eye-popping numbers of how crazy expensive it is to uh, invest in a National Football League team, even an NHL team, Major League Baseball. They're in the billions. Do you think those eye-popping numbers are maybe good for the Canadian Football League and the fact that a group like yourself can actually mm-hmm. get involved in this league when getting involved in these other leagues is an impossibility for most? Well, it, I think with... If you look at it like that, you know, that's definitely a, 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 a end if, if that was what I was really looking at. But I look at it from the vantage point of guys who have actually played in the league, right? Uh, guys who have spent time in Canada, right? It, that, to me, you know, whether I'm from America or any other country, that should give me an opportunity to have access to the opportunity for ownership because of the investment that I have placed inside of the league. Um, not to say that I'm not from Canada or this or that, I'm not from other countries. Um, a lot of times it really shouldn't matter, especially if you have individuals who have played and, and, and given their all on those fields, right, to entertain the fans, to, to uplift those organizations and all those things. That should give us an opportunity to say, hey, that, that, that assures that we'll have an opportunity for ownership. Um, but when it comes down to the dollar amounts and those types of things, um, what we look at is we want to change that for the Canadian League, right? We want that. We want those NFL value, those valuations. We want that for the CFL, and and we know how to do it because the majority of guys that have played in the CFL have been in the NFL and, and saw what that looked like. So there's a lot of uh, uh, overlap. Um, there's a lot of opportunity um, that I see, and that's the reason why I would say for me, the CFL has been the best league that I've ever been a part of. So. Outside of, you know, that and understanding the dynamic of what can be, I mean, that's the real reason why we're even in this conversation. And, and it's not because the teams are super cheap, um, because that's not the case by, by you know, by a long shot. Uh, there's still a, a good amount of money that needs to be invested, um, but it's also, it has to be coming from the right place. All money is good money, right? So at the end of the day, we want to be able to come in and, and be able to bring back those traditions and also enhance the opportunities for creating new members and new traditions as well. So that's how I look at it. I mean, what do I know, you know? But at the end of the day, that that's where the heart is. That's where the passion is coming from, and that's where the purpose is. So, 
Well, Garrick, we uh, hear a lot of people who are naysayers about the Canadian Football League, even some of our own fans, even people from the city where I am, Regina, Saskatchewan. So it is nice to hear somebody who is excited and wanting to be part of it and actually invest into our game. We will see how it plays out, and we will watch with added interest. Thank you so much for coming on our program, and best of luck with this. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity, man. Y'all have a good one. That is Garrick Jones speaking to us, um, former CFL, NFL offensive lineman. I remember he bounced around the CFL with a few different teams, including the franchise now known as the Edmonton Elks, that he wants to spearhead the new ownership group for if they agree to take it private. Coming up on this edition of the program, we will chat with Emma Miskew, the third on the team that won the Scotties Tournament of Hearts yesterday. This is the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620. CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. On this Monday edition of the Sports Cage for the Kansas Art Center. Still ahead, we will meet with Jeff Hamilton and the Winnipeg Free Press. show as well. I actually think that Bob McCown is a big reason why this program was started in its current format in the first place. I started following primetime sports in the early 2000s and I would listen. Uh, this is before most of us. We were all on the internet, but we weren't so much on smartphones. I think there was some texting going on at the time, but it wasn't what it is today. And that program was the best hour of straight talk, and I think it also showed what Canadian sports talk could be in this country. And you just saw sports talk programming and all sports radio stations pop up all over Canada. Now, many of those shows uh, have not had the staying power of the sports cage or this radio station, and many of those specialized stations don't even exist anymore. But I think it probably peaked right around 2010 when the Vancouver Olympics were happening. And the fact that this show has become as big and as popular as it has, there are many people to thank for that and many people who have done the heavy lifting to make that a go. But I actually think Bob McCown and his program showing the potential of what Sports Talk Radio could be in this country was also a very big reason. So I'm very excited to have him on this show. I can't think of too many A-list guests who I've been more excited to interview than the one that we're going to do in Hour 3 on this program. We still have Briar tickets to give away a little bit later. Uh, We have tickets to give away to the Montana's Briar. That starts on Friday, and it goes March 1st to the 10th. So basically covers this coming weekend, the entire week after, and the weekend after that. So before the break, we chatted with Garrick Jones, the retired offensive lineman who played many, many years, over a decade of pro ball in the NFL and the CFL, and he's heading up a group that wants to buy the Edmonton Elks. The one thing that I thought was a little bit hard to understand is why he wanted to create a fan petition or why they've created a petition to sign, urging the board of directors for the Edmonton Elks to take the team or make the team private, because that's not usually what we see in professional sport. Quite often, if somebody wants to buy a franchise, they might have a press conference like a Jim Balsilli and be really, really public about it, 
And those efforts usually go nowhere because it irks the commissioner, it irks the other owners. They like to do things behind a closed door. So I think that was my biggest concern about this Garrick Jones bid to buy the Edmonton Elks. Now, whether or not they should be public or private, I haven't made up my mind. I think that the public model has worked pretty well for these franchises in Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, and I have yet to see a shred of evidence that would prove otherwise. However, if a new group is going to come along, they're going to have to write a really big check Glenn Suter suggested an expansion fee should be around $100 million. We saw ownership change around with the Hamilton Ticats at a $50 million valuation. I think for a storied franchise like the Edmonton Elks, I think Suits' $100 million idea does not sound like such a crazy thought. And they're going to have to invest into something big that the current ownership can't. And I'm not just talking about a few players here and there. I'm talking about like that big giant scoreboard that the New England Patriots put up and they spent tens and tens of millions of dollars to put that up. We're going to need to see something tangible like that invested so that the Edmonton Elks can be a great franchise again for the Canadian Football League. Not that I've complained with the fact that they've been in the outhouse the last few years. I think there's probably not a franchise who Ryder fans love to hate more than the double E, except when Richie Hall was the head coach and when Ron Lancaster was the head coach. But that said, I think most people who follow the Canadian Football League would agree that that Edmonton franchise needs to be strong for the CFL to be strong, and it has not been strong for the past few years. Still ahead on this edition of the program, Cal Grattan from Melfort to tell us all about this Curling Day in Canada Festival. This is the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. And time for the Sherwood Co-op Sports Ticker. Sherwood Co-op will pump your fuel while you stay warm inside your car or just pay at the pump all winter long. The Regina Pats started their West Coast road trip over the weekend with back-to-back losses to the Spokane Chiefs and then the Tri-City Americans. Scores of 5-2 and 5-3 respectively. They'll be back at it tomorrow on the Almighty 620 CKRM. Pre-game show with Dante DiCaria will be at 8.30 local Saskatchewan time. Puck drop just after 9 o'clock. The sports ticker is... Uh, uh, once again, brought to you by Sherwood Co-op. They'll pump your fuel while you stay warm inside your car or just pay at the pump all winter long. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. McGuire now joined by Keith Pasco for the Monday edition of the Sports Cage. Looking very dapper, I see. A little look every now and then. The go team may make a reappearance. I'm looking pretty good for it. Did you have to do it? I got you. You don't do your own. I do not. But why does that not surprise me? In my defense, I mean, as a single dad, I had a baby boy at home, so I couldn't just say, hey, wait here, I'll go outside and shovel for an hour. So. And then after a couple years of that, I went, you know, I kind of like this. So, uh, yeah, my shoveling days are pretty much done. Those habits are hard to break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, Jake didn't want to bundle up and sit and watch dad shovel the driveway? Not particularly, no. He'd probably charge me for it, you know, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Hey, listen, I'm trying to think of like Pete doing manual labor and I just can't oh, visualize. Oh, you know, yeah, it could be done. 
uh let's see factory work one summer uh landscaping that was some hard work although a great tan although (laughs) in hindsight maybe that wasn't the best idea uh yeah yeah you know and after dabbling with that for a while i went yeah no you know school's not so bad and uh getting a job where you don't have to lift heavy things and put them down but you can go to the gym and do that that seems to be the way to go i don't think you do any of that either though do you lately and let's just say the weights are a lot lighter than they used to be our next guest is a very familiar voice to our airwaves here on the almighty 620 ckrm she's been doing the pre and post game shows through last season Mm -hmm. and also a lot of the award-winning sideline reporting at the games at Mosaic Stadium. Mm-hmm. Daniela Ponticelli is one of the lead announcers for the Professional Women's Hockey League TV broadcasts and joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline now. Daniela, how's the move? How's your new home in Southern Ontario? Does it feel like home yet? <laughs> it's feeling a little bit more like it. Still a little strange at times uh, to not be in a prairie winter, but the fact is I got to walk along one of the great lakes today it's nine degrees so there's there's definitely pros to this whole thing uh, but thanks for asking nine degrees i'm so jealous but you know one thing i learned in the winter that i spent out in southern ontario if it's like minus five in regina the snow might melt a little when you're in southern ontario you don't see snow melt at minus five it's a damp cold isn't it Absolutely. Yeah. We honestly, we could talk about this all afternoon because <laughs> I am learning all about that too, uh, too, um, too well. It's just a minus five year is not as advertised. It's not the minus five I've grown used to. So for the games that you're broadcasting with this professional women's hockey league, do you just do the games in Southern Ontario or are they sending you all over the place? Right now I'm covering Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. Very cool. And so far, what do you think of the crowds? I know they did. Uh, they had the big crowd at the Scotiabank Arena the one night. What was that like? It was incredible. So I witnessed that game sort of from the stands. I was actually on my way to go calling a game in Ottawa the next day, so I was able to catch about half of it in person. I knew I had to be there for puck drop. I knew I had to be there to hear the roar of the crowd. I didn't get to be there live for that first goal at Scotiabank because that only came in the third period but it's not only these mammoth crowds that are just awe-inspiring it's every single crowd in this league and I say that with all honesty and I mean it because it's the engagement that you feel these people want to be there so badly they're invested in every minute of the game every second of the game they are gasping when there's close Uh, goals they are you know getting after the reps if they don't like something they are applauding and standing on their feet for phenomenal saves and then of course when the goals come they're up as well cheering all of those big moments but they're just every single thing there's such an investment and even just to see the crowd not leave as you know you start to get towards the end of the game everyone's still in their seats and they linger for a long time the lineups for autographs from the players after the games sometimes wrap around especially at TD Place Arena I find in Ottawa their fans love those autograph sessions after and their team is hardly one at home unfortunately but they stick around and they just they soak in all of that goodness and I I can't say enough about it and it really does rub off on you as a broadcaster because you just feel the sense of community. It's a very um, 
a very incredible experience, and it's an amazing thing to witness. I enjoyed the one broadcast that I was watching, uh, Ottawa versus, I want to say it was Boston, and uh, that was the night that uh, the Prime Minister was politicking in the crowd, but it looked like a pretty cool vibe with everybody who was there. Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is Daniela Ponticelli. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like sublaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Oh, man, folks, I wish we had some sort of video feed going. Brendan was rubbing his tummy as he was talking about Western Pizza. <laughs> Just about the cutest thing I've seen in a while. Hey, Danielle, it's Pete. Um, hey, Pete. Thanks for depressing me about the weather back home. Uh, no, that's fine. <laughs> After this many years, I've come to expect it. What I want to ask you about is... and. Just what you were just talking about, the fan support. I mean, for folks who don't know, this is a startup league. This is the first year people hoped the fans would come out in droves, but nobody knew if they would. What happened? Where are they coming from? Oh, I mean, that's that's a great question. I'd love to dig even more into the demographics. The one anecdotal story that I love to share because I didn't expect it. I just happened to be in line at the airport, so I had finished a game at Madame Athletic Center, the old Maple Leaf Gardens, and I was on my way to Ottawa, and so I'm going through security. And of course, you can kind of spot PWHL fans, right, folks who are wearing the gear, and then uh, a lot of the season ticket holders, actually only the season ticket holders, were gifted these beautiful PWHL Tukes. So they're very easy to spot, like, oh, I know that you bought season tickets. So I was chatting with one of the women in line with me. Turns out they fly in from New Brunswick. They're season ticket holders in Toronto, but they didn't have a team that they had decided on. There isn't one in the Maritimes just yet. And they said, hey, you know what? It works out for our, our schedule and our budget and what we want to do to come to every single Toronto home game. And that's what they do. They fly in, they fly out. And I was just in awe, I even asked, I'm like, are you related at all? Because to me, that seems like something a family would commit to. Just big fans of the league and wanted to support this this thing that they have wanted to see for so long. And, you know, not everyone's going to have an epic story like that, but anyone who's buying a ticket and coming is supporting. The merch lines, by the way, for that Scotiabank game were just phenomenal. It was incredible to see. By the way, they're sold out for merch online, so really the only way to get it is what's in stock when you're at a venue. So it's just been such an enormous response. And, you know, you can, you can talk to the players and they'll have a much different perspective too on all the people who've reached out to them and come and support them. And it's, it's remarkable. We say Ryder fans are hardcore. It sounds like uh, they're taking it up another <laughs> level out there. Um, the naysayers, and of course, there, there's so many of them, and, and you try to tune as many of them out as possible, but... People said, oh, well, these they've rushed it too much. These teams don't even have names. Like, they're the Toronto what? They don't have a name. It's terrible. This will never work. Clearly, that's not been a factor. But do you anticipate that coming in for year two? Uh, yeah, I believe that's public knowledge. So I'm not sharing anything that... Uh is is not uh, already been discussed publicly the names the the imagery the branding you know everything that's associated with that is definitely incoming the intention was certainly never to not have those names it's just in the list of things that were a priority a cba being uh, agreed upon before actually continuing as an as a first time league was huge and they made history with that right the first mm-hmm. ever professional league to launch with a cba in place a ratified cba so there were certain things like that that were just way more important and it made sense and then of course it was immediate scheduling getting players played doing a draft getting broadcast uh agreements going i'm just speaking purely as an outsider 
having seen the timeline. None of those things I was privy to, but that is how things sort of unfolded. So the names and the branding, well, it makes sense that you'd love to have all that in place. When you have 125 days to get six teams fully staffed, uh, GMs, head coaches, you know, you start to realize you're running, you don't have as much time to get things going when you want to get this professional product launched and, and out the door. And it certainly hasn't stopped fans from loving the team and supporting, as I said, with the merchandise. They've been able to sell a lot of merchandise even without a, a team name. That's very cool. Brian Burke uh, really wanted to be the executive director of the Players Association. That's pretty cool, isn't it, for a startup like this? Oh, it's great. Yeah, he, I actually see him around quite often because his office is in the Players Association, which is based at Anatomy Athletic Center. So it's so wild to see, like, oh, there's Brian Burke looking around. He is such a big proponent of this league and such a big supporter, and that's all I can say about it. Uh, you know, I can't really speak to what he wanted to do uh, in terms of roles, but he's definitely a big part of it and has been there for all the big moments as well. When uh, <clears throat> you mentioned the fans who fly in from New Brunswick, it made me think of another part of all this. Obviously, you don't need the size of crowds to have a franchise in this league that you do in the NHL. Do you At ever point, s- yeah. sit and wonder and envision maybe a team playing in Saskatchewan one day, Regina or Saskatoon? <laughs> I think the sky's the limit, honestly. And Saskatchewan, the one thing I will say There is such an incredible infrastructure of female minor hockey. And I'm going to say especially in Saskatoon, but please, folks, correct me if I'm wrong. I know there's great programs in southern Sask as well. I'm not trying to take away from that. But Saskatoon, I know, has a huge ecosystem building around there. Prince Albert as well has been a big feeder. And those are just sort of the highlights. But there's plenty of clubs across the province. And what's neat about that is knowing, okay, if they do become feeders for the PWHL, are we going to see some more investment in women's hockey, female hockey in the province, so on and so forth? And then potentially, you know, could it be a place for that? I think there will be a lot of, uh, there's always lots of considerations at play. Travel is a big one. I mean, there's only one team, Minnesota, right now that's outside of the Eastern time zone and kind of outside of being very close to the other locations. So I think, this league is smart enough to make those decisions on expansion wise. Selfishly, I would love a Saskatchewan team. Are you kidding me? I would love that. It would be so great to see. And there's uh, some really great staff talent. I love to shout them out. Uh, and I might be missing a few, but Caitlin Willoughby, PWHL Toronto, Brooke Hobson with New York. Those two are from Prince Albert, came up the Prince Albert program. Sophie Shirley, of course, and Emily Clark from Saskatoon. Those are two big names. Um, Shirley, unfortunately, just dealing with an injury right now, so you might not see her play. Um, just for a couple games, but it is really incredible to know that already in this brand new league, there's representation from Saskatchewan. Who are are some of the stars emerging in the league for those of us who haven't seen a whole lot of action and aren't super familiar with the league just yet? I think that's kind of the nice thing is from where I sit, I get to tell a lot of these stories as part of the broadcast. So I, I love to talk about these players and we're seeing just the stars kind of, Every every week, there's there's new people kind of stepping into the forefront. I'm going to shine a light quickly on Claire Dalton, a Toronto player who plays for Montreal. She just came off a, a hat-trick game in Montreal. And what's so cool about her story, she was nine when Marie-Philippe Poulin scored, or earned rather, her first Olympic gold medal, 2010 Vancouver. Remember that? 
well, sure enough, now Dalton's playing on a line with Poulin, and that's what helped her get that hat trick. And it's just it's those kind of really cool moments, and so she's emerging as one of the stars. But Alex Carpenter, she's been an incredible star for the for Team USA, and she's so young. She's in her 20s, and she's leading the league 15 points in 12 games, and she scores in clutch moments. Game winners, uh, shorthanded goals, of course, with the jailbreak rule, those are so huge in this league, meaning you score a shorthanded goal and your your teammate is freed from the penalty box. Uh, Poulin, of course, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't say she's an emerging star. She has set the tone, right? She, we kind of expected she would be one, and she's lived up to that 12 points in 13 games. Natalie Spooner for Canada. I will just note, like, internationally, there's so many international players in this league from Hungary, Japan, Finland, Sweden, Czechia, Japan, I mentioned Japan maybe already, sorry. But from Switzerland, Alina Mueller, she's on PWHL Boston. She's always one to watch. She's leading the league in assists with eight right now. And what's cool about her story, she was the youngest woman to win an Olympic ice hockey medal. She was 15 when she won bronze with Team Switzerland in Sochi. So people who maybe never even thought, hey, maybe one day I could play professionally in the United States or in North America – suddenly having a chance to do just that and performing as well, meeting that expectation. I know I'm probably leaving some folks out, and there's so many great stars. I find with Toronto, because I call most of their games, Emma Malte is always one to watch. Uh, She's from Burlington, so she's a local girl, and she just has so much energy, and she's fun to watch. She delivers really big hits. There's Lexia Geo with Ottawa as well. So lots of really great players. And I'm going to kind of focus it more on Canada, but even... Even the American stars are just, I, you're just seeing great skill. And that skill has always been there. And now there's a, a bigger platform. I don't think I'm, uh, I'm telling you any secrets here when I say uh, one, one of the ideas behind the league is to further grow the game of women's hockey and to give young female players somebody to look up to, somebody to emulate. I mean, a young me, a thousand or so years ago, looked up to a bunch of Toronto Maple Leafs. And when I get within mm-hmm. you know 10 yards of one, I'd, I'd be a total fanboy, starstruck, could barely speak. Are you seeing that yeah. with young female players when they meet their new idols? Absolutely. Uh, lots of young girls in the crowd. What players have noted, though, is that they're, for the first time, having lots of young boys, too. Scotiabank was such a great example of that. The lineup wasn't just little girls. It was everybody, and they were all excited to see Natalie Spooner and Sarah Nurse and, and kind of just enjoying the stars of hockey, right? That's, that's kind of the biggest part of it is that it's not just a one or the other, but in terms of representation, that is completely part of it. See her, be her. That's the slogan. And why not? Cause it's also not only just representation. It's knowing you have a future. It's knowing that if I really keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and maybe I get division one and NCAA, or maybe I, do you sports and then go play overseas for a bit. Maybe I can carve a path out to get to the PWHL. This opened up tremendous opportunities for prep schools and other programs that help grow and develop women's hockey. You know, this, this becomes a really, really big, much bigger ripple effect than I think anyone could have originally thought of, right? It's not even just the players. It's all of it. I don't know. When I, when I talk about it, I get so passionate because it's it's just so exciting. It's like, why wasn't this here before? Well, things needed to happen the way that they did to allow it to open up in 2024. And Pete, just back to your 
what the naysayers say. I just loved seeing the stats, even from game one, day one, 2.9 million people watching that game. Nice. That's what I was just going to so, say. I think the CFL yeah. would be happy to have those kind of numbers, while even the NHL. Exactly, right? And, and it's because of the great product on the ice, and of course, the phenomenal broadcast talent that's putting this <laughs> that on. so kind. Where, where can uh, people, where do we find these broadcasts? Well, the broadcast, what's great is uh, the easiest thing to do, honestly, is look at the PWHL site. I know it's a step that not everyone wants to do, but the schedule on there will actually tell you where all the games are being broadcast because the rights are split between a number of different broadcasters, right? So not every game is going to be on TSN, but then it might be on Sportsnet or it could be on CBC. And it's on linear television uh, likely streamed, but every single game, every single one is streamed on the PWHL YouTube channel as well. They're trying to make this as accessible as possible, but if you'd like to see it on your TV as you would any other game, just hit up the schedule. It will tell you exactly where you got to check out, whether it's TSN, Sportsnet, or CBC. We look forward to seeing how Season 1, the rest of it, unfolds. Daniela Ponticelli, thank you for this and enjoy the rest of the season. Thank you so much for having me on. That is Daniela Ponticelli, formerly of Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Arizona Coyotes are going, what? People go to hockey games? <laughs> they would they love to have those. No they, kidding. The, some of those attendance numbers and some of those. 18,000, yeah, that's a good week for them. Still ahead on this edition of the program, the Bob McCowan. You are listening to The Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. The text line is brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln, Saskatchewan's number one Ford retailer, CapitalFordLincoln.com. You can text us at 306-936-6262 or call us toll-free at 1-866-767-0620. And that's how you will get us on the text line for the free Briar tickets that we are going to give away a little bit later and on the show. The prize pigs, Pete. Wow. You were one of those, weren't you? Never. Never. They didn't let me near the prizes. I would uh, I would win on this very station. Yes, I know. And then I would try to call Oh, actually you might you might have been working here. You did the you did the same thing Daniela did, didn't one you? One of the did, first things you said to me when we met was I grew up listening to you. That's that's great. That makes you feel old. Yeah, a little. Yeah. What? Uh, but you did the pre and post game show too, didn't you? For a while. Uh yes, yes. Never both at the same time. That would have been a lot. But yes, like in the nineties. Like I'm trying to think. Like Reggie Slack era. Yeah. Warren Jones. Uh, Tom Burgess. Jeff Courier would have been still here. Okay. So and... his last year was '97. So that's really going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. Up until probably 98, 99. And then other people took over and I did other things. That's the way life goes. So the cycle goes. of life and broadcasting. Garrick Jones was on earlier in our yeah. one. What's your take on this idea that the Edmonton Elks have to be privately owned? I don't believe they have to be. I would certainly explore the opportunity or, or the idea and see if there's any reason to do it or... If it's even feasible, I mean, it sounds like they have some some deep enough pockets behind them. It's not like the NFL where they need billions, but I don't know. I mean, my NFL team is the Green Bay Packers. They're not owned by a person or a corporation. They're owned by the community, and I like it that way. I like it when the fans are the quote-unquote owners. Now, I know a lot of people in Edmonton aren't thrilled with 
the way the team has gone in recent years. They weren't thrilled about the name change. I'm sure a lot of them are hoping, well, if we get private ownership, then they'll change back to the other name. And they're the show me province. So they're all about private ownership and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So we can understand that mindset. If someone's willing to invest that kind of money and willing to lose money probably more often than not, then hey, go for it. See how it works. When you say that kind of money, do you ever wonder what the dollar figure has to be to say, okay, you're stepping up to the plate and you're doing something? Because let's not forget in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. it was David Asper who talked a really good game. Mm-hmm. He was going to own the stadium. He yeah. was going to fund most of it himself. Yeah. And he was going to be given ownership to the Blue Bombers. Mm-hmm. Well, they started digging up and it turned out, oh, I don't have the money and I want to, he wanted to recycle a lot of the seats and other things from the old stadium. And he said, well, why would we build a new stadium if you're just going to recycle everything else? So he had to walk away, abandon the project. Province and the city had to pick up the pieces. I think it was mostly the province. And it ended up costing them a fortune more. They basically agreed to be in for a penny Hmm. and ended up in for a pound. And there's... So many of those stories in CFL history. I mean, Gleberman's, Ottawa. That's that's what scares me about private ownership. They could be all gung-ho, and the opening news conference will be chips and gum, and everyone's happy, but a year or two in when the bills start piling up, don't know. I'll give you another example. And you got Lonnie handing out beads. I'll, I'll give you another example. Bruce McNall. Oh, yeah. That group. Because, you know, they brought in Rocket Ismail, and everybody talked a good game, and by the end of their three years... Mm-hmm. There were a lot of the suppliers to the Argonauts waiting over nine months to get paid. That franchise had deteriorated into a bad account receivable. So I guess the lesson learned is private ownership is fine when you have a great owner, but when you don't, it can be a really lonely place to be. Mm -hmm. And the fans in Edmonton might find out or they might decide that they're not interested. And I think that's probably okay too. Coming up on this edition of the Sports Cage Canada's king of sports talk, Bob McCown. You are listening to Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. The Sports Cage brought to you by Conexus Arts Centre. Brendan McGuire and Pete Pasco. Still coming up on this edition of the show, Emma Miskew, the third from... The Ontario Rachel Holman rink that won the Scotties Tournament of Hearts yesterday will join us in hour three. Right now, we go out on to the Western Pizza Hotline to Winnipeg to discuss the latest happenings and news about the Winnipeg Jets and their attendance issues, if you want to call it that. And Winnipeg Free Press reporter Jeff Hamilton joins us. Jeff, are you familiar with Bob McCown? Uh, of course. He is coming on this program today and i'm over the moon about it and you are the lead-in so i hope you're up to the challenge hey you know what i'd counter that and say hope he's up to the challenge after <laughs> me you know I, i'm i'm the one who goes before maybe it's be a bigger bigger serious issue if i was next you know Bo- what i mean bobcat has huge shoes to fill <laughs> everyone but, knows the big band goes first everyone knows that. I, I i was just telling pete off the air you're still the president of the football reporters of canada are you not you bet. I don't know what year it is. Feels like they're all blending together. Yeah. D, I was going to say, that feels like my job too, but I was going to say, um, are you the only beat reporter who's on the ground at every game home and away? It seems like a lot of them have just disappeared. 
Yeah, so when Post Media decided that they weren't going to travel, that of course took out pretty much everybody on the beat except for my paper, the Winnipeg Free Press, which isn't which is independent, isn't part of isn't part of Post Media. But I'm not the only person, so I'm the only English paper. Um, but credit to uh, some Montreal scribes out of La Presse, and then I believe the journal. Um, he uh, KPA or what is it, Carl Pierre? Yeah, KPP or whatever. Um, Pure Carl Pelado? Uh, yeah, there you go. PKP. I, keep, I always mess up his initials. He uh, When he took over the team, he got, uh, I think he got some of his uh, papers involved with covering the club. So I knew, I knew they had a road presence. But yes, indeed, I'm the only, uh, the only English paper scribe that travels. Me and my colleague, Taylor Allen, who I split the beat with over at the Winnipeg Free Press. Well, um, you, you can take this as a compliment for your newspaper, but I was chatting with one of the writers from a rival paper in Winnipeg who went on and on about how much he appreciated and respected the fact that the Winnipeg free press functions like a newspaper should and i thought that was high praise coming from a competitor so i'm sure you take a yeah, that, is, that is nice to hear that is nice to hear. we still have a comic section we have we still have a book section we have these things that the funnies. Were, have, have long been uh, long been thrown to the wayside by most publications so we are lucky to have that for sure very nice so there's all this nonsense about the winnipeg jets and their attendance being down we've been hearing about it ever since the pandemic i think their season ticket base has dropped from something like thirteen thousand to about ninety five hundred and i talked to so many media people in winnipeg the last few days some of them were just afraid to come on because winnipeg's a small town and i guess some have to deal with the owner and uh, my good pal jeff courier uh told me he he says brendan i'm the wrong guy to ask i quit following the nhl two lockouts ago uh but he suggest i feel like he stopped around the same time i did but he he suggested that the corporate base maybe just isn't what it needs to be in winnipeg what do you think jeff what do you make of all this well, first off, uh, hip, hip, hooray for independent papers and not being a broadcast partner. So let's start off there. Um, secondly, you know, it, it, it really does, um, you know, of all the things that are an issue right now um, with, with the attendance, the big one seems to be, and not just seems to be, is uh, corporate dollars or lack thereof corporate dollars. Now, you, you know, to better understand the current situation, you need to go all the way back to the beginning when the, when obviously the Jets first uh, were announced to be coming back, there was a ton of excitement, of course, and, and uh, anybody who, who um, you know, went up to their laptop on that Saturday, you know, Saturday afternoon to get tickets, well, was, was you know, feverishly trying to get tickets, refreshing. I, I knew families who had several laptops at a table that just kept on, you know, you know if, your, if your viewers could see me right now, I'm hammering my, uh, my finger down on these, you know, on the return, like refresh, refresh, refresh to get tickets. Well, what, ha- what ended up happening was a, a large chunk, almost all of it, like upwards of 90% was scooped up by the general public and it left very little opportunity or no opportunity really um, for bigger companies, corporate companies to, uh, to also get a piece of that pie. And if you compare the, you compare the season tickets in NHL markets across the board, well, majority, if not all of them outside of Winnipeg have somewhere between 40 to 60% of their season ticket holders occupied by corporations, whereas in Winnipeg, it was a staggering 85-90% um, was, was general public, leaving only 10-15% for corporations. So now here we are all these years later, and I'll remind you guys, this wasn't, you know, one season commitments. These were anywhere between four, five, six year commitments and then renewed. Um, so for a good decade, the Winnipeg Jets didn't even have, you know, Mark Chipman admitted in his, uh, in his interview with The Athletic was they didn't even 
you know, they were, they were a service company, um, you know, for the first decade, not a sales company and that they weren't even that good as a, as a service company. So anyways, my long winded answer here is to say that the corporate dollars didn't get that opportunity then. And now they're coming back as, as you've seen a heavy dip, uh, in, in total numbers. They're now want, they're now appealing to the, you know, to the business uh, world in Winnipeg in Manitoba to fill up that spot. And so until they can get more, you know, they, they've essentially, you know, I don't want to say tapped out, but pretty much tapped out of that generosity from, you know, ge- you know, individual fans. Now they need the love from companies to, 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 uh, to get those numbers back up. Hey Jeff, how, how dire would you say the situation is? I mean, in the back of my mind, I go, mm-hmm. this is a league that allows the Arizona coyotes to stumble around like a sailor on shore leave. Um, are the Winnipeg jets in danger of moving anytime soon? Yeah. And I think that's the part that, you know, I, I think is, I don't want to say it's, it's confused by fans because when you have an owner come out twice in the last two years, talk about, you know, the, you know, show, you know, in that first, in that first, uh, ticket campaign last last spring it was you know forever winnipeg and there was just plastered with videos of 1996 and then the jets leaving right you know everyone with their piggy banks uh throwing pennies into this into this you know this fund to, to, to save the jets right so that that harkened back to the you know a very sensitive time for the city so many people took that as a bit of a, a veiled threat and then of course this you know this um this interview, most recent one, well, it wasn't, you know, it didn't say, you know, we're up and leaving. It said that the way things are working right now isn't going to be justifiable moving forward, you know, in the future. And so to answer your question, absolutely not. There is no fear that the Winnipeg Jets are going to pack up tomorrow or next year or the year after that. Um, and I think that's, again, like, I think that message is, is being, you know, I think I think it makes sense that people are feeling that. But you, you also have to remember that the Winnipeg Jets were purchased for 100 170 million dollars and their evaluation now is 700 million so what's missing in this whole you know and you know which is pretty convenient to to go to these toronto guys who you have relationships with the the questions that are missing is how much did the winnipeg jets even lose last season you know we don't even know how much they lost so we don't know you know how much cash they're burning and the second thing it's not really being talked about is what's the deal with this you know what is the situation with the winnipeg jets ownership we know that david thompson not just the richest guy in canada one of the richest families in the world uh is is what is one of the owners with with chairman mark shipman but he has significantly deeper pockets than Mark Chipman does. So you have to wonder if they're if they're kind of ringing the alarm bell, bells now. Is this to kind of give Winnipeggers like a kick in the ass, or is there a bigger story here about the stability of of the ownership? Like, and what I what I mean by that is this is is David Thompson still invested here? Is this still something that he wants to be a part of? I mean, this is something that he backed when you know 13 years ago. Is this still something his family wants to have in their portfolio? And is and if it isn't, is this something that Mark Chipman and True North sports entertainment can can take on their own, and if they do take it on their own, well, David Thompson losing a few million dollars a year is a lot different than Mark Shipman losing a few million dollars a year. So um, I think it really, I, well, I don't think it's you know there's no danger or imminent fear that Winnipeg's going to pack up and leave. I think what this what this current ownership is doing is they don't want to get to that point. They don't want to get to a point where now they really are begging, where it is it is no longer you know a veiled threat. It's a real one, and so I think that they're 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 being a bit proactive and it's it's uh, it's rubbing people some way some ways the right way and other people's not so much. It's funny I mentioned Jeff Courier earlier because he used to be on this very station uh, in the 90s when he was broadcasting the Rough Rider games, and he said it over and over. He said the CFL 
has to realize that begging is not marketing. And I think about this current scenario. Let's say, for example, <clears throat> you mentioned the valuation. $170 million is what they paid for the team. Today, it's valued at $700 million. There are many NHL owners who lose money every year, and they're fine with it because they go back to their banker, they get a reevaluation, and they determine that the appreciation in the franchise is much more than the losses, and they'll get their money back when they sell the team, and life goes on. Everybody's happy with that. If you, if you do the math on that, the Winnipeg Jets, let's say they lose $10 million a year. Let's say they lose $10 million for the next 10 years. Who really cares? Why does it matter? You know, it, it may- <laughs> You know, it, it, it's it's a funny argument because you're right. I mean, you can say that and it matters to the people that are putting the money up. You know, rich people aren't rich because you know because they lose money. They you know they, that's the last thing they want to do. And, and and you are right, but I mean, there is some there is some um, there is an argument to that, right? I mean, like sports entities, you know, like in the NFL, big business, obviously, right? And you, we talk about the big four. The NHL isn't really part of that big four. They're kind of like the fourth of that big four, obviously. And so their evaluations while, while are climbing up aren't, aren't to where, you know, NFL, NBA teams are right now. Um, that being said, I think it's not so much that, you know, you, you don't want to lose money. Nobody wants to lose money. But, but more often than not, as you mentioned, like these most of these teams, whether league you are, like no one buys a sports team necessarily to cash in, right? Like to make a bunch of money. It's a toy. It's part of your portfolio that you know is fun that that you can that you can use. And the CFL is a great example, right? Because you know, and everyone talks about the fear of like teams, you know, um, packing up or whatever. I dare any of those owners to sell their teams. They use it as their own personal social social theme. You know, like I mean, that's there are benefits to having that kind of stuff. There's power. There's influence. There's notoriety. There's there's all these things that come with owning professional sports teams. So I don't think it's, you know, you might be able to say who cares, but if you're losing significant money, then it starts to add up over time. And then you start looking at the long-term viability of, of your ownership and whether you can handle it. So, I, I mean, again, I don't blame them for, for the actions they're taking right now. I just think the execution of that message could be a little bit better when you actually take a good look at what the, what, what the actual broader situation is. Well, I, you're not blaming them, but I'm blaming them, God dang it. But you no, go. you're right. It's a tool to see and be seen. And I guess the point I'm making is um, even if they lose $100 million over the next 10 years, they're not losing any more than a lot of other NHL owners are. And the valuation should more than cover that when they go to sell the franchise. This is a fascinating story. I know a lot of people here. I wouldn't say the Jets have really grabbed hold of the province, but there's a fair amount of fans here. Maybe if they did a little more outreach here, they might be able to wrap their arms around us a little bit better. We haven't seen it just yet, but um, we will watch with added interest. Jeff, thanks for doing this. Hey, guys, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That is Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. And uh, again, because of the way their paper is structured, I actually signed up and I am a proud subscriber. Because Look at you. they do the newspaper the good old way. The way that it was meant to be done, and that's a rarity. I still subscribe to the local paper. As do I. My praise is not quite as not quite as high as it no. would be for the Winnipeg Free Press. No. Still ahead on this edition of the program, the King of Canadian Sports Talk, Bob McCown. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio, six twenty CKRM. Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. This edition of the program, Emma Miskew from Team Ontario, championship winning rink at the Scotties. Brennan McGuire and Pete Pasco, the new guy on the board, Alan. 
it's his first day, so we're never going to call him the idiot producer, but I would be honored if Bob McCown called me an idiot producer really? or an idiot on the air. Really? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's, yeah. Indirectly, that's pretty high praise, actually. Yep. Yep. I'd take it. I don't know about you. I'm pretty thrilled to talk to Bobcat. Oh, I, I used to. Legend. Call, I used to call in. <clears throat> of course you did. And and I'd get busy signal, busy signal. I couldn't get through. And it was about, I don't know, a few years ago. And the wife said, you should try getting into Bob. He's taking calls. Hmm. So I called and they put me on hold finally. And I'm like, this is my moment. Hmm. I'm going to ask Bobcat a question. Mm-hmm. And there was a caller ahead of me, or there were a few. And the board op producer said, okay, Brendan, you're the next caller. And then the caller ahead of me just jabbered and jabbered and jabbered and uh. jabbered. And I ran out of time. They said, sorry, Brendan. And I thought Ouch. that chance was gone forever. Nope. Until I reached out to Bobcat over the weekend and asked if he would come on with us. And you can imagine my shock when taking my daughter to her soccer practice hmm. when Bobcat responded wow. and agreed to come on the program. So I'm very please, excited about please this. Please spare me the... the- I guess the embarrassment of asking him a dumb question. Is he fully retired now? Is he doing any broadcasting or? He still does the podcast. Okay. Yeah, I listen to, I, I, there's three of my must listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Obviously the sports cage. No, obviously the three down nation mm-hmm. and the Bob McCown podcast. Okay. Him and John Shannon are doing it. Oh, Bob, Bob had some uh, health issues. You may recall mm-hmm. late last year. And, uh, I don't believe has fully recovered, but he's sounding better and better on the air all the time. Great. And uh, I've been hearing him and the show is just so much better with him mm-hmm. than without. I was going to mention, you're looking very Spartan today. You're wearing your Spartans football hoodie. That's right. And new guy, not idiot producer, Alan is also an <laughs> alumnus of Sheldon Williams Collegiate here in Regina. So uh, yeah, the Sheldon Spartans, uh, the football high school football team I helped coach. I guess we're going to be uh, gearing up again real quick. You're doing that again this year? Why not? You work with the running backs? Yes. What do you know about being a running back at high-level football? Were you a running back? Mm, a little bit of fullback. I can see you getting like all skinny and stout and like showing players how to fit I can do that. that. Don't you guys do like the little limbo box that the yes. we never, players are supposed we to never wiggle through? We never that, but yes. <clears throat> and yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's it's standard. Do as I say, not as I do. And uh, as long as you, you fit in with a, a lot of the girls. NFL head coaches, I don't think it, it, hardly any of them were good athletes either. I would race Bob Wiley and win. That's all I care about. <laughs> That's my benchmark right there. But only since he had that big operation and he can't walk now. Not my problem. But before I that, have a sore knee. he would have whooped you in a 40-yard dash before. I mean, if there were nachos at the end, maybe. I don't know. I'd pay to see I shouldn't it. make fun of Bob Wiley. He's a professional coach and I'm me. We have some tickets to give away to the Briar. Do you have the envelope? I need to double check the draw and the game. But, okay, we'll figure that out later. We do have tickets to give away to the Briar, which is coming up March 1st to 10th mm-hmm. here in Regina. Of course, the Sports Cage will be broadcasting live from there all week long. Cool. We had Kirk Myers on this program earlier in the week, and I wanted to make it kind of hard for people to find the answer, but not too hard. Mm-hmm. So the trivia question to win those tickets, and you're going to have the lottery because I don't have the draw number or who they're playing. Who was the skip of the team that Kirk Myers played for at the 2010 Provincial Junior Championships. Oh my goodness. It is 
it's pretty easy to find. I but think not, I know this. You can't Google it, but it's still pretty easy to find. I think I know this. First correct answer to 306-936-6262 on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line. Once again, that number, 306-936-6262. We hope to announce the winner a little bit later in the program. Still coming up, or coming up later this hour, we will go to Melfort and chat with Cal Grattan about the Curling Day in Canada Festival that was all over on TSN on the weekend. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Monday edition of the Sports Cage for ConnexusArtsCenter.ca. Brennan McGuire and Pete Pasco with you still ahead. We will chat with Emma Miskew, the third from the Scotties champion, Rachel Holman Rink out of Ontario. But before we do that, a little closer to home, we go out on the Western Pizza Hotline to the great, we call them cities in Saskatchewan, I think you only need to be 5,000, of Melfort, and we are joined by the leader of the Chamber of Commerce out there, a gentleman by the name of Cal Grattan, who I worked with in radio many, many years ago. Cal, welcome to the Sports Cage. That's a couple of many's, Brandon. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I'm just going to give a little bit of your background. Cal worked in radio in Melfort for about, I'm going to say, maybe not quite 40 years, but he had a little detour where he left just because he wanted to do mornings with Brendan, and then he eventually found his way back. I'm sure that was it, yeah. And uh, and I I have to tell you, Cal, when when I turned on TSN and I saw you reading right on the monitor and you're hanging out with all these celebrities like Bob Weeks and a few others it brought up a memory that I had from the Estevan Sportsman's Dinner I'm going back like 20 years where you are yep where Cal is up on stage and they had Scotty Bowman mm. and Ken Holland were there and I remember Dwayne Kikoi looks over at me he says McGuire you and I are sports guys we would give our left you know what to visit with any of these people Cal probably doesn't even care and there he is having a visit with Scotty Bowman casually we were jealous then and we're jealous now Cal Bratton. I, I I cared then and I care now absolutely <laughs> so how did this curling festival come about well I was I was invited to be a part of the uh, committee oh boy way back way back in june i think so yeah a a few months ago now and uh, we were just just gathering just getting together as as a group of uh people trying to figure out what what the uh what the uh next steps are uh carrie de goyer from the uh melford curling club applied for this for this prestigious event and she ended up getting it in her words. Uh, so she texted me and she told me that. And she says, now what do we do? I said, <laughs> I said well, let's gather a committee together. Of course, she knew what she, what, what she was doing. But let's gather a committee together. And I'd be more than happy to, happy to sit on it. And uh, we did. We had monthly meetings for a while. And then we went to weekly meetings. And once those weekly meetings were, were going for the last couple of months or so, it really started to pick up steam. Uh, this event is coming closer and closer and closer and closer and and uh, boy it, it it went off without a hitch i would say it was it was terrific that is such a cool story that someone said let's get this really cool event now we've got this cool yeah. event what do we do next 
And I think that's true about anything, isn't there? Everybody has a role to play. There are the dreamers uh, and they're, you know, the people who just think of the big picture. And then once you accomplish that, get that event or get that franchise or get that business up and running, then there's the business of figuring out how to run the thing. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And this curling club has been, been in town, obviously, in Malford for, for, for a number of years. But just recently, just over the last few years, uh, things have been really happening. Uh, major sponsorships, that sort of thing. And just getting the word out uh, that there is a curling club in, in Malford. And uh, Curling Day in Canada was just, well, the crowning achievement up till now, anyways, uh, that, the, that the curling club in Malford has hosted. Cal, as you mentioned, a long, long history for the club in Melfort. How would you describe the curling community up there? Is is it a bit of a hotbed in, in say, north-central Saskatchewan, or or is it finding its way? Yes, I, I would say it's it's a hotbed. Being on this being on this committee, I I had never thrown a curling rock, you know, in in in. in 50 years probably or 45 years I might be dating myself here a little bit but uh, but to be immersed into this curling community like I have been over the last eight or nine months it's been tremendous to see and it's a sport at least in Melford it's a sport for all ages Kerry uh, the Goyer's main uh, main push and main purpose uh, through all of this is her goal is to get everybody in Melfort to throw at least one curling rock uh, in their lifetime. So there, there is a huge immigrant population here. It's growing uh, leaps and bounds lately. And uh, so she gets involved with that community a lot. And uh, again, from all ages, they absolutely love this sport. They end up signing up for, you know, curling teams at the curling club. Uh, so it's, it's a very vibrant community for sure in, in Melford and in, in Northeast Saskatchewan. How many people did you get coming into town for this on Saturday? Did you get a, a, an unofficial head count? We had about fifteen hundred people attend attend the event. Uh, the event was held in in two locations across the street from each other. So the Northern Lights Palace, where the Melbourne Mustangs play, uh, and the uh, the Borgo Curling Center, where the where, where the obviously the curling club uh, meets. So we had about fifteen hundred people, uh, and it was just one day. There was a lot of talk beforehand. How are you going to do this over over two days? No, no, no. It's it's one day. It starts at eleven o'clock in the morning with all the Learn to Curl clinics, and it goes all throughout the afternoon and into the evening with the fun spiel, and then the cabaret that night. So it was a it was a jam packed day. But yeah, fifteen hundred people uh, would be a would be a good estimate as to how many people were here. When I think about Melfort Sports. I think probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, the highest profile Melford athlete currently is probably Logan Furlan playing for the Riders. And of course, Mm -hmm. most people in the community could rattle off the names of the Mustangs from memory, probably. (laughs) Uh, What about curlers? Have there been any prominent curlers that that have represented the community really well, maybe winning provincial or national titles that I, I have to admit I don't know about? Well, you know, there's uh, not not particularly, but Pat Simmons uh, was here, two-time Briar champ, and he and he came up to Melfort, and he was just amazed by by the the you know the the involvement of all ages here. Um, so we're hoping that these you know that the that the younger kids, perhaps, or even the teenagers, or, or even the old guys like like me and and uh, other other people may may uh, may go down that route uh, one day. But for now, uh, we just like to say that we're a real hotbed. Of uh, of of the of the province, and that we that we're really enjoying the sport, and it's really growing in Melford.
I remember when I used to travel around with the Esteban Bruins around the SJHL, and uh, you know we knew who had the nice rinks and who didn't. And uh, Melfort always had the crown jewel of the league, and that facility is almost 30 years old, and it might even still be the nicest facility in the league, although I'm sure people in Esteban, maybe even in Melville and some of the other places that have newer facilities uh, might have something to say about that. How big a part did having such an awesome facility play in being able to land an event like this where you get TSN literally coming to your backyard? Uh, it was it was a big part of it. A, a majority of the events, the the kids' events, the cabaret, the uh, the special old team that was that's off to nationals in in Calgary, uh, the celebration for them, uh, all of that uh, was done at at the palace. So it was great to have that second venue for sure. Uh, weather cooperated a little bit with us as well. We had a very mild. We have a very mild winter up here. Uh, we did have some some outdoor activities. Uh, such as Croca Curl going on at Memorial Gardens downtown Melford as well. So, uh, so there was a there were there was three I guess three venues uh, that were very very active during that day. I'm glad you mentioned the new Canadians who are really picking up the sport because um, Neil Smith, he was the general manager of that New York Ranger team that won in 94 that Ranger fans always talk about and will always talk about forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he later relocated a semi-pro team to, I want to say, Greenville, South Carolina, hmm. not far from Atlanta. And when he was Stingrays? on... um I think they were the Road Warriors or Growl. They always have different names. Right. It's very transient, these leagues. But um, he talked about how with the rinks down there he said you guys are going to laugh but we have to fight with the curling association (laughs) to get ice time people in south carolina maybe it was north carolina one of the carolinas have gone mad about curling Mm. and it just goes to show that sometimes we think of it as this old sport with uh, corn brooms that our grandparents played and we forget that people who are new to the sport from outside of canada love this sport Ab- absolutely. One one of the events that took place during Curling Day in Canada was was stick curling, and that's exactly what it sounds like. You, you, you just push the rock down down the ice with with a stick, and a lot of people took part in that. That was probably uh, the first clinic to sell out. Would have would have been stick curling. Very here. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, now the ultimate next question is, and you don't have to come up with the answer all by yourself, but I assume the community's thinking about it. You've got this great momentum built by Curling Day. The grassroots clearly growing. How do you keep this going? What's the next level? Well, it's funny. I just had a conversation with with, with our mayor this morning. I was talking to him about the uh, the success of, of Curling Day in Canada, and it was terrific to have T- the TSN crew here. Uh, they... The, they were very, very impressed with the hospitality that uh, the Northeast Saskatchewan uh, sh- showed them. Uh, we took them up to uh, Wapiti, uh, the ski hill just north of, of, of Melfort, and they were laughing about it because there's actually hills in Saskatchewan. Yes, there is. So they were aware of that. They took some pictures and, and things like that. But uh, that conversation I had had with the mayor was, yeah, TSN was here, but why can't we have an event like this every year to teach 
to show off the sport of curling, to show off the Northern Lights Palace, to show off the Borgo Curling Center, uh, and, to sh- and to show off the city of Melford as well. Of course, being with, with, with the chamber, the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce, as, as I am, I appreciate the fact that we had a lot of people from out of town uh, come into town all day and spend some time not only at the venues for curling, but they did some local shopping as well. So why don't we capitalize on this? Why don't we take a look at something like this and maybe do it and, and do it every year? I, I'm game for that for sure, 100%. Beautiful city you have up there in Melford. I still think it's one of the best kept secrets uh, in all of Western Canada. And we look forward to seeing you host more and bigger events. And uh, when we have you on next time, we'll tell more stories of um, Brendan being on the road doing playoff hockey and coming straight back to do the morning show again in those 30-hour days (laughs) in radio. True story. Cal Gratton, the uh, executive director of the Melford and District Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, Brendan. Appreciate it. And that is my good pal, Cal Gratton, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like souvlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Still ahead, Bob McCown, the Bob McCown, on this edition of the program. You're listening to Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. And Pete Pasco on this Monday Sports Cage for ConnexusArtCenter.ca. Hi. I just went down the hallway to refill my water bottle. And I, I pulled it from the tap because I was in a rush because mm-hmm. I've got a bit of a raspy, dry cough. And so if you guys are both out of commission tomorrow, you will know why. Thanks for that. I filled it up. Warm water. Ew. Disgusting. Okay. That should be a poll for somewhere down the road. People swear by room temperature water. Can you drink that? Mm-mm. I cannot either. It's got to be chilled or cold. Sounds like a disgusting idea. I know, but they swear by it. Oh, well. Did you watch the Scotties? Not wall to wall, but yeah. Yeah, fair Here and there. That uh, the final was good, but the playoff game between Homan and Jones was... That's wow. Yeah, we watched that. And, and I felt like I was watching a heavyweight bout. And in some ways, I was kind of bummed out about the fact that I thought these two teams are going to be in the finals anyways. So mm-hmm. why do I care about this game? But... The team that lost the Jennifer Jones rink had to play again. Like they had to do a double header. They basically, they were taxed because they had to do two games on the Sunday instead of one. True. And I wonder if that played a role in the final outcome. And that would be something that I would be curious to ask Emma Miskew about Mm. in our final segment. Mm -hmm. Did you watch a good part of the final? Maybe half overall. Yeah. Wasn't a good game. It was fine. I mean, it wasn't. If the previous game hadn't happened, then everyone would be saying, oh, this final was great, man. It was the best. But it's just it, the bar was set so high the day before. Were you rooting for Anderson to break the record of like consecutive wins? It wouldn't have made me sad. You'd have been okay with Colleen Jones record going. <whistles> yeah, actually, I think I, I think I would just because most records are made to be broken. I don't have anything necessarily against Colleen Jones, but. It was time. It was time for somebody else. That's kind of like with um, Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. When uh, Tom Brady went on some 
talk show that I never watch. I just saw the clip of it later mm-hmm. and complained that the National Football League is not violent enough today. Oh. And he talks about how in the good old days, you know, when I was young and mm-hmm. we were great and I would not throw the ball over the middle because that would risk a receiver's life. And mm-hmm. now the NFL's too mediocre. Boy. And then you look back and you say, well, why is the NFL not as violent? Well, because Tom Brady hurt his knee and then they started changing all the rules. Well, you mm-hmm. can't hit the quarterback low and player safety emerged. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron Rodgers, he's not your boy anymore, is he? He's not. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> because he's not in Green Bay well, or, while, or, or combined with some other factors. No, I love the new quarterback. Okay, good. I, I'm glad, too. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's not your boy. Aaron Rodgers. Well, I he just, just got so weird. Yeah, right. That's my point. That's what I was saying. Hell so, of a player. But so, so, so he came on and he backed up what Tom Brady said. Hmm. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, games back in the good old days of 2013, 2014. I'm looking it up and I'm like, what did Rodgers say? He says, we don't want players getting mangled, but, you know, you still have to have the physicality of the sport. So which is it? Oh. Right. That's that's why they brought the rules in so that players don't get mangled. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady to say that <laughs> because they're not the receivers who have to go over the middle to no. take the shot. And the biggest reason why the game of football is becoming safer and safer mm-hmm. is because of Tom Brady and all of the complaining that he did, the whining he did. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And And when Aaron Rodgers says... Well, the game was great way back in 2013, 2014. The game is no different today than it was in 2013 and 2014. No, well, although I wouldn't want to play defense these days. I don't. I don't know how. Do you think it's any different? Somebody but, legally, but that's been happening for for years now. I think it's a. It's like, you think it's worse? It's like now? a pendulum. Like back in the wild west of the 1970s and 80s, you could take a guy's head off coming over the middle and. Fans would applaud. And and paralyze him forever, and you wouldn't have to apologize. Yep. And now it's gone the other direction, and I think maybe a bit too much. So hopefully somewhere in the middle, there's a nice equilibrium between safety and the violent aspect of the game, which you don't want to remove completely. Otherwise, it's flag football. I can't wrap my head around why they wear those beanie helmets when they're doing practice. Mm-hmm. I assume it's because better protection. Allegedly, yep. Yeah, okay. So why would they do that in practice but not in a game? That's a good question. I don't... I honestly don't know why. I'm like staring at you for the answers. It looks weird. So I'm sure a lot of players would bring that up going, well, that looks weird. That's a big part of the sport, isn't it? It's it's the appearance. Mm -hmm. Like, we forget that the helmet is a big part of it because the helmet has the logo and the logo is Uh, beautiful. You can't cover up the logo, can you? And that's a big reason why... Flag football has never fully taken off. Mm-hmm. What about this concept? You and I are going to start a flag football league once oh, you hear my idea. So <clears throat> why not have like a 12 on 12, yeah. but you take the line play. We want to just cut that out completely mm. and you create five new receivers and you play on a regulation sized field. You actually have kicking mm-hmm. because the great thing about football is the many different elements about it and the strategy and the teamwork. Okay, you might not be a good tackler or a good flag grabber. Hmm. That sounds awful. But, <laughs> but you're no, a, I know what you mean. You're a really good... I'm glad you figured that out. You're a good kicker or you're a good pass catcher no. or you can't catch, but you can throw, right? It's all the differences. And when what I look at most... You're a big kid that can't run. 
the uh-huh. line is the place you got to play. Yeah, but but you could be a receiver if you've got some size, you know. Mm. Pretty pretty tough to cover even if you're big and slow if you got some height. Oh, great. Okay, Toby, you run five yard outs all day. If if you're bigger and you're short, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. You can coach. Not everybody can play. True. So I think that flag football would take off exponentially if it just looked a little more like the actual sport. Interesting. Like you actually had to wear something. I don't know. Maybe it's a leather helmet or a beanie, something Mm -hmm. that has the logo. Mm -hmm. You wear the jerseys, and then it looks real. It's like when John Madden allowed them to create the video game in his namesake. They couldn't get the technology right where they could have 11 players on each side. They said, well, why don't we just do a three-on-three? And John Madden said, nope. Mm -mm. It's got to look real. Good. And if you make those changes, I think flag football would become more popular. And then you start cutting out some of the violence that you get in real football. I feel like you are a purist... In every sense of the of word with I the am. sport, and I, I don't think you would like that. I think you like the minutia of blocking and blocking technique True. and the physicality. But we don't ever want to lose that from I the sport. I accept there's more than one version of football, and that's cool. That's fine. And I've had that conversation with parents of kids that clearly were either not ready for tackle football or were never going to be ready for tackle football. And... But they love the sport, so why not go play touch or flag and and play the game and maybe you come back to tackle down the road. I think there's more than one way to to become a football fan and and love the game and play the game and participate in the game. So flag is growing, so you can't really fight it, and I don't intend to. But those of us who make fun of Roger Goodell Mm -hmm. and other people at uh, the pro football level for not doing enough for player safety, we're all kind of hypocritical, aren't we? Like the 110 million of us mm-hmm. are in North America, I think it was more than that, who watched the Super Bowl. If we have such a problem with it, we wouldn't watch. And that's always been the argument. Players should be safer. Oh, that was the biggest hit ever. Do it again. Yeah. Like Herm Edwards we said. We're when the one, I, uh, Who was it? Ridley, the running back for New England. I remember he took a shot mm. where he was knocked out and he was laying there. And Herm Edwards said the next day. You know, we all complain that we don't like to see the violence that comes from it, but we see that hit and we say, "Oof, let's see that again." Uh-huh. Yeah, it's unfortunate. There's like I said, there's got to be some sort of equilibrium, some sort of balance between the violence and the safety, and we're not there yet. We had Daniela Ponticelli on this program a little bit earlier. She's been doing the broadcasts on a multiple of different networks. What a cool opportunity for no her. Kidding, huh? I think it's embarrassing that the NHL didn't just fund this way long ago. Mm-hmm. The WNBA has been going since 96. Mm. And we hear the NHL and the NHLPA fight over HRR and who gets 50%, who, you know, mm. and they're kicking it around 56, 50. Eventually they settled on 50 50. It's a little ridiculous that they didn't just say, how about we each get 45%? So everybody will take a very small pay cut. Yep. And we'll fund stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I think that would work great. Well, like Daniela even said during the interview, it's year one. There's there's stuff that's going to change. There's stuff that's going to improve. There's stuff that they didn't literally have time to get to yet. So. And there's going to be some stuff that declines too, because I do believe you get a bump right off the bat, the novelty of it. And again, back to a previous interview, the Winnipeg Jets are experiencing that huge fan reaction when they came back to Winnipeg. Today, not as much. I do find it a little ridiculous, as Paul Friesen of the Winnipeg Sun put, he and 
his column got quite a reaction because he was very critical of Mark Chipman. Hmm. He said, why can this organization not withstand a couple bad seasons after a pandemic? That seems a little ridiculous to most of us. And I think what the fans are saying is, you came in, you said you weren't going to spend to the cap. Now they are. We don't have a lot of superstars who have come through Winnipeg. You gave us this logo that we're lukewarm to at best, because logos matter, Pete Pasco. Enough. You're not giving us the old school logo that we've always loved. Hmm. Stop taking us for granted. If you've admitted, which they have, that the old logo is the better logo, yep. let's start with that. And sure. let's do a few other things. Maybe let's have training camp in Regina, Saskatoon, hmm. and get some of the people here who love hockey. And we're pretty easy bunch to please. We're very low maintenance here. We're not seeing any of it. So I think what Mark Chipman said is true. My hometown, London, uh, there are still to this day a ton of Boston Bruin fans. And you go, well, why, why is that? Where it's yeah. located? Because the Bruins would have training camp at the London Gardens every year. And this kid called Bobby Orr showed up and people thought that was pretty good. Just show up once in a while. Mm -hmm. Tell us that you care. Maybe have a preseason game. Wear the green jersey. A lot of people here are just looking for a team to latch on to because we're not really married to anybody. And I think the people Therefore, in Winnipeg just assumed Saskies would show up. And they never have. They never did on 1.0. I remember some people would go down for a trip, but very, very few of my friends, relatives, or anybody I knew were Winnipeg Jet fans. They would go there to see Gretzky or see Lemieux, but they didn't cheer for the Winnipeg Jets. You know Rob Vanstone screaming at his radio right now. I know. There are Jets fans Well, we are, we are going to bring him on to talk about this, mm -hmm. but... That's my point. I don't feel like the Jets, like the Saskatchewan Rough Rider brand is much bigger than the Winnipeg Jet brand is. Yep. And that's a compliment to the Riders and their fan base. Yep. And it's kind of a slap in the face to the Winnipeg Jets, too. Yep. So, still ahead on this edition of the program, the king of Canadian sports talk, Bob McCown. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. <laughs> Good evening. It's mostly cloudy with some light snow, and it's minus 16 in Regina. I'm Corey Atkinson from the Harvard Media News Center with 620 CKRM News for Echo Sound in Fort Capel. Stay connected with a new cell phone from Echo Sound. Call 306-332-6711. Improper disposal of smoking materials. That is the conclusion of the investigation into a fire Saturday in Regina at an apartment complex on Centennial Drive. The fire broke out just after 9 p.m. on Saturday night on a ground floor balcony or patio. Two of the 16 suites have been destroyed. Deputy Fire Chief Gord Hewitt had an example of the proper way to dispose of smoking material. This is a metal container uh, that contains basically sand, um, crushed gravel, uh, and when people are, when smokers uh, go to discard a cigarette, they need to have a container like this to put it in uh, and not something that is flammable or combustible. Two people were injured, but not from smoke or heat. Both tried to escape the fire by dropping from an upper floor to the ground. Their injuries were described as cuts from glass and broken bones. People living in the other suites in the complex were allowed to return home today. A 23-year-old Regina man is facing charges after Regina police apprehended him in a construction compound with stolen items. Following a security company's report, officers tracked Waylon Prosper to his hiding spot under a construction trailer. During the arrest, a police service dog was used, resulting in Prosper's minor injuries. The suspect was wanted for multiple offenses, including two break-ins and a mischief incident. Prosper faces charges such as break-and-enter, possession of stolen property, possession of break-in instruments, and failure to comply with a probation order.
The province and the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation have been embroiled in contract negotiations with another week of rotating job action and removing noon hour supervision in many schools. The province has announced pilot projects about class complexity in recent weeks, but as STF President Samantha Beacott indicates, teachers are not moved by recent promises of spending coming from the province. I have no doubt that without any commitment or without a commitment in the collective agreement where government can be held accountable to this renewed investment, once contract negotiations are resolved or public pressure subsides, the Saskatchewan party will claw back any increased funding that they provide in the upcoming budget. We have a list of the job actions being taken by teachers for today and for the rest of this week. Parents and caregivers are still invited to take part in a Zoom conference call tonight with BCOT at 7 p.m. Space is limited to 5,000 people. The Manitoba government has budgeted $200,000 so far to advertise its temporary fuel tax cut. The province, the province suspended its $0.14 cents a litre fuel tax for six months as of January 1st as a way to help people with inflation. University of Manitoba political analyst Christopher Adams says it's not unexpected. What brings to mind is uh, advertising after budgets, provincial budgets. And we saw the Conservatives do that after each of its budgets, and, and the NDP used to do it as well. The government has also hired a polling firm to ask people whether they've seen the ads and what they think of them. Stock markets may be hovering around record highs internationally, but Canadian bank shares are not catching as much momentum as they head into first quarter earnings season. The sector's been lagging on concerns of sluggish loan growth, risks to existing loan portfolios and other headwinds, including changes to tax exemptions and capital requirements. Some of the biggest fears are easing, but a turnaround isn't expected anytime soon. A Scotiabank analyst says a notable rebound probably won't happen until next year. Scotiabank and BMO release their earnings tomorrow. Don Kelly, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And a case of old hockey cards has gone up for auction and fetched more than $3.7 million U.S. The case of sealed 1979 hockey cards was found in a storage room in a home in Regina. It contains more than 10,000 cards, likely including 20 or more rare Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in pristine condition. Heritage Auctions says the longtime collector is asked to remain anonymous. A spokesperson says he doesn't expect the winning bidder will open the boxes as they are even rarer than the rookie cards. Steve Lambert, the Canadian Press. That was your 620 CKRM News. Your 620 CKRM weather is next. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM. Three of the Monday Sports Cage, Brennan McGuire and Pete Pasco for ConnexusArtCenter.ca. Still ahead in this edition of the program, Emma Miskew, who's the third on the Rachel Holman rink for the Scotties Championship. They mm-hmm. emerged victorious uh, yesterday, and that's nice for Rachel to get back on the horse. I remember when my wife did something really nice. She got us tickets to an Ottawa Senators game when they were playing the New York Islanders for my birthday, and nice. it was completely unexpected. Hmm. I'm going to say 2017, and it was uh, the week that they had Grey Cup in Ottawa. Oh. You might remember the Argonauts won that Grey Cup, and mm-hmm. we went to the game, and we had seats like two rows behind the Islanders bench, wow. and that's one cool thing about Ottawa is that NHL tickets are not crazy expensive like they are in a lot of other places. That's hmm. probably something nice about Winnipeg, too. Mm-hmm. And 
they honored Rachel Holman in her rink that night. And that was kind of a phase, like for me, curling has come and gone. Mm -hmm. And that was a time in my world when I wasn't watching a lot of curling. So I thought, oh, there's this new young Ontario rink. Mm -hmm. And they've always been right there. I could not believe, because we had our child um, in early 2021, our oldest daughter, and we're in the hospital with our newborn and we're watching all the curling. The And Rachel Holman had just given birth, I don't know how many days, but it was like a week or two before, and she was out there curling at the Nationals. Wow. That, that clearly, I've never given birth, but I've uh, been in the room when it happened, and... I feel like I feel like playing a sport a week later. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. I feel like being a father of a child, like mm-hmm. with someone who gave birth, you would not want to be out there that quickly. No, after that happened. Goodness. So, don't tell me female curlers aren't tough. Well, and and sometimes we we misunderstand their dedication to the sport. Like Jennifer Jones, for a long time, took a lot of heat because she seemed so businesslike, and sometimes mm-hmm. she would look angry on the ice if things didn't go her way. But that's probably what made her an elite athlete. And we don't, I mean, we criticize some elite athletes, um, you know, in the other sports like hockey, baseball, football, but not as much. And it was almost an unfair measuring stick. You know, like when Tom Brady slams his helmet because he's mad about something, I don't think we really ridiculed him or gave him a rough time. Well, if you don't play with some kind of intensity, you're not going to be an elite athlete for, well, unless you're a Toronto Maple Leaf. But other than that, you're not going to be an elite athlete for long. Because that intensity, that work ethic is is part of what separates the good from the great. You're a big Leaf guy, aren't you? Yeah. So back in the offseason when they got rid of, um, what's his name? Dubas. Mm-hmm. Billy Bean 2.0, yep. whatever we want to call him. The did, kid. Did you like the way Shanahan handled all that? Like by going through all the dirty laundry in the press conference and just... Didn't care for it at all, actually. You didn't like that? No. I mean, I see why... Just sort of, well, this is why we're going in a new direction, because folks are going to wonder since we've finally made it past the first round of the playoffs. So I get that, but no, I, I just, I don't think Shanahan's done a particularly good job with that team, quite frankly. I thought that that situation, I appreciated that because so rarely do you get that kind of honesty mm-hmm. where they pull back the curtain and just say, this is what happened. Yeah. And and some well, might Dumas, say that, I guess, opened the door by his news conference, which was alarmingly open and uh, forthcoming about how he was thinking about spending more time with his family, and he wasn't sure that he wanted to continue. Yep. Once he opens that door, I guess as management, you've got and to that, say time to move on. And that seemed like a bunch of baloney to me because mm-hmm. I don't think that was ever his plan. I think he was just trying to build any kind of leverage that he could. I think so. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the program, a full generation of Canadians grew up listening to primetime sports as the preeminent sports talk program in this country. And the host of that program for so many years, until they shut it down after he left, was one Bob McCown, who joins us on the line. Bob, have you ever been to Saskatchewan before? Actually, it's one of the few provinces I've never been to, I, I, I'm sorry to say. And uh, 
What are your first impressions about Saskatchewan? What do you know about the province? I, I remember when Chris Colabello was out here, he was right before he got nailed for doping. He was at an event in Saskatoon with Joe Montana. And he said, I think it might have been on your program. He had no idea that there was such a legion of fans out here in uh, Saskatchewan. What do you know about our province, Bob? Well, I don't know a whole lot, but I will tell you that um, uh, I have a com- had a company called Purdue Productions. We did television programming, and we did a show on the uh, Saskatoon Junior Hockey Team. And I watched every episode of that, of course. And so I have some familiarity with what you have there. And uh, I'm sure you're, uh, you're very happy. Yes, I remember watching that documentary, actually. Your film production did a very good job. Um, do you still produce documentaries, or do you still have plans to produce films like that one? No, we did uh, the last one we did was uh, with the Go Go's, the uh, the rock band, the all girl band of the, uh, I guess, seventies, eighties, and uh, we won a bunch of awards for that, but that was the last doc we did. I know that's one of my lifelong bucket lists is to try and do a documentary. We'll see if I get there or not. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you about is you led an effort to have an expansion franchise in the Canadian Football League uh, back in the 1990s in Las Vegas. Uh, As we all know, that franchise, you were not a part of it. Uh, Nick Maletti, who had founded the Cleveland Cavaliers, came in, and he did have the Las Vegas Posse, and that ended in just awful financial ruin and terrible disaster. It was so bad that the posse had to move their last home game of the season on the road. Uh, Did you watch that wreckage from a distance, and did you feel fortunate that you were not a part of that in any way? I didn't feel fortunate. uh, Our game plan and what we presented to the league was totally different from him. We we were in conjunction with the mayor, and we worked with uh, a dozen major hotels of the time. And we had them buy uh, season ticket packages, which they could give or sell to their clientele. And so uh, we were comfortable that what we were doing would be economically viable and uh, you know make the, the team successful in Vegas. Now, um, Malay didn't do that, and none of that. And uh, he didn't understand the market at all. I'm not really surprised with his failure, uh, but I don't. Honestly, I don't know whether we would have been more successful or not. That's a great question. Yeah, I I wonder about that myself, and uh, I know that um, you really cornered the market on Bay Street because you are an entrepreneur at heart. And we have a little bit different demographic out here in Saskatchewan. However, we have a lot of self-employed people. We have a lot of farmers and we have a lot of dreamers out here too. So while we're on that topic, um, have you ever wondered if the Canadian Football League could benefit from going after a project in the United States like that again? I'm not sure that it would work. I don't think it's on the end of game plan. You know, they, we uh, I was at the first game ever played was, I believe, in Sacramento, California. And uh, we had a good crowd that night. People were very excited about it. Uh, you know, I, do, I don't think there's anything wrong with the CFL. In fact, I like it. But I'm not sure that going to back to the U.S. would be a good idea. 
That's a great question, and there would be a lot of uh, complications that would come with that. Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is Bob McCown, the king of Canadian sports talk radio. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like sublaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Well, speaking of appetites, Bob, uh, pleasure to speak to you first and foremost, but I'm going to ask the question that's probably on a lot of listeners' minds. How are you? How are you feeling? Well, I'm getting better. You know, I had a stroke. I actually had two strokes about seven months ago, and it really uh, knocked me out. I couldn't walk and I couldn't talk. I couldn't even swallow afterwards. I spent five weeks in the hospital, and I've been home recovering since then. So, you know, things are coming along. I'm getting better, but I'm not normal yet by any means. I still have a ways to go. Well, it's glad to hear that you're on the mend at least. I think I think a lot of folks who listen to your show on a regular basis would not be surprised to know you didn't suffer fools real gladly back in the day. And and that's one of the things I think a lot of people appreciated about you. Was there anyone in Toronto that you had to deal with on a regular basis that, <clears throat> what's the best way to put this? Maybe you wish you didn't have to or was particularly challenging? Well, I don't know about that challenging, but there were a lot of people that I didn't like that I had to deal with. But I was lucky. I uh, I, uh, I, I managed to avoid many of those people. I had enough. We had a big enough audience. We had a good enough reputation. We had so many guests that we could go another direction if we wanted to. So I didn't have to suffer too many fools. There was the odd time, though. I did. You know, but I have a pretty good memory. And if anybody gave me trouble, I uh, I remembered that, and I would rarely have them back. I think your determination to tell it like it is, with no fear of how people would react, was probably a big part of your success. Uh, earlier on in this show, uh, we had Jeff Hamilton on from the Winnipeg Free Press to talk about what's happening in Winnipeg and uh, Mark Chipman's complaints about the drop in their season ticket base and how it's not sustainable. And we spoke to a lot of people in Winnipeg and it seemed like so many of them were either affiliated with the Jets or through a broadcast agreement that they did not want to come on this program and uh, be perceived as speaking out against the Winnipeg Jets. Do you right. think that, that there's a maybe an, more of an emerging place for someone like a Bob McCown uh, because it seems like so much of the media now works directly for the teams that we need an independent voice and we need more of them. Well, I think we always needed that. And uh, I, you know, Rogers obviously owned the Toronto, uh, Rap, the Toronto Blue Jays and then ultimately a bit of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I was lucky that they didn't uh, corral me into being a homer, if you will. That is not the case anymore. I do a podcast now, and uh, we have run into problems with uh, Rogers Companies, the Raptors, the Leafs, and they they won't give us guests to come on the show because they have their own podcast that they want to prop up. And I think that's, you know, obviously that's, uh, that's a, uh, that sticks in my craw. But I don't think that's fair or honest, and I don't like it at all. But uh, can I do anything about it? Probably not. I don't think it's a question for one person 
at any time, in any place. I I think that's just the way the media has gone and the way the teams have gone, too. That might be just the way of it, and some people say, well, that's the way it is. doesn't mean that you or Shannon or Pete or I or anyone else has to love it or... Uh or has to comply with it in any way. Um, I know uh, you've you've had a great working relationship with John Shannon, and uh, I remember always seeing his name on the credits and thinking, what the heck does this guy know about being an on-air performer? Because rarely do you see someone in the background then come right. and be on air, and uh, he's reinvented himself. He's done a great job. Outside of Shannon, um, are there any co-hosts that really stick out to you as, God, I loved working with that person. It was a joy to do shows with them. Well, every, I enjoyed working with everybody. I didn't always get along with everybody, but, you know, I, Bill Waters was my first co-host, and then Jim Hunt for many years, the late Jim Hunt. You know, um, I fought with Damian Cox was my co-host for a while. Damian and I fought occasionally. I, You know, I battled with just about everybody from time to time on certain in, in instances, but... Um, you know, everybody brought something I thought to the show, something positive. And if they didn't, they weren't on very often. Right. So I can't even remember how many calls I had, maybe 10. So, you know, it wasn't a small number. It was quite a few people that I worked with. Well, Bob, I think, um, Your show was very popular throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, and it was around 2010 when this show launched, and a lot of the sports talk radio stations launched around the country, and some right. of them aren't around anymore, but I think that uh, knowing that this show is here to stay, at least the boss is here tell me that, I think we have you to thank for that, Bob, mm-hmm. because you showed the world what sports talk could be in Canada. And without that, I'm not sure we would have seen the industry emerge the way it did. Uh, I hope we get to chat. very nice to say. I I hope we get to chat again, but uh, whether that's the case or not, I just want to say thank you. This has been a big thrill for me, and I'm sure many of our listeners too. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for calling. You know, I'm happy to do it anytime. Absolutely. And we will listen to your podcast as well. I always listen to the Sports Cage podcast, the Three Down Nation podcast, and the Bob McCown uh, podcast that you can hear on any podcatcher. Time to break. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Well, got a little heavy at the end of that. Just why I clear my throat here. They say don't meet your heroes, but in some cases, it's not so bad. That was pretty good, hey? Man, I, I, I don't think he appreciates his legacy in, in sports and in broadcasting in this country. Like you said, a lot of people that are doing it now wouldn't have been. If, if Bob McCowan didn't lead the way and blaze the trail. Well, and uh, my favorite co-host that he had was uh, Stephen Brunt. Yep. And... Uh, I think they've had their battles over the years. <laughs> so be it. Makes for good radio, quite frankly. Like when he called out Doug McLean. That was one of the greatest segments ever because uh, Doug had been really, really um, 
anti-Jim Balsley. Balsley is how you say his name. Yep. And then like a week later, he joined forces as his next general manager oh for uh, or consultant, I guess, to try to get back into the NHL. Hmm. So Bobcat said, you can't play it both ways. And he brought him on and he said, he will never appear on this show ever again. And in true Bob fashion, it's like he has this heart of gold. He just doesn't want anybody to know about it. And it wasn't that long after that. They brought Doug McLean back on the show mm-hmm. and they got along just fine. But um, I know um, Jeff Courier was probably my favorite broadcaster growing up just because 11 year old me would call in and he would encourage me to call in. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't all encouraging to everybody who called in. But if you had something to say and it was generating worthwhile discussion, you had a welcome place here. And I feel like it's the same thing with Bob McCown. And that had a big influence on me and my love of talk radio, too. Early on, I just wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I think Bob McCown changed that. So many great lines from Courier back in the day, one that I stole and still use every once in a while. Here's an idea. If you're calling into a radio talk show, have a point. <laughs> right, right. And he was he was rude to some callers. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it, and he probably had a right to be rude to some callers. You can join in on the discussion on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line, 306-936-6262, or call us toll-free at 1-866-767-0620. Follow us on social media, Facebook or Twitter. Do you call it Twitter or X? I still call it Twitter. Elon can't tell me what I'm going to call it. He doesn't control me. At SportsCage is our handle. Still ahead... We will chat with Emma Miskew from the Scotties champion rank, the Rachel Holman team. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Still ahead this week on the Sports Cage. Of course, every Tuesday we have press coverage with Glenn Suter for Quality Tire and Rash Madani for Smart Investing Solutions. That uh, Bob McCown interview, mm-hmm. um, was he? did he have a factor in your love of Canadian sports talk? Mm. I'm not sure that that show would have been heard out here when you were working in the radio industry. Who was... Uh, yes, it was. Out in Saskatchewan? On another... Local radio station. Oh, but you might have you might have heard it back uh, home before I moved. Sure, there. that's what I mean. Before yep. you came out, uh, was there somebody else who was an inspiration for you? I mentioned Jeff Courier. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, Courier was one of the better ones. Quite frankly, I, I had the pleasure of working with him at this very radio station. He was very different from today's sportscaster, by mm-hmm. and large. Uh, he. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He had at a all. lot of Bob McCallum in him. He yeah. uh, he did not suffer fools gladly. If if you didn't come to him with a smart question, he was going to tell you that. Lauren Harrison was kind of that way. Yes, Or a lot was. that way. Yes, he was. Very happy now to go out on to the Western Pizza Hotline to visit with our next guest, who was victorious at the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts yesterday as part of the team Rachel Holman Rink uh, that defeated the Jennifer Jones Rink to capture the 2024 championship. Third, Emma Miskew joins us on the line. Uh, Emma, welcome to the program. You landed safe and sound by the sounds of it in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I just, uh, just got home about an hour ago. I, for those of us who watched the game on Saturday night, the one-two page game between, uh, well, your rink and the Jennifer Jones rink, it looked like a heavyweight bout, for lack of a better term. And then as I was watching it, I kind of thought, well, what does this really matter? They're both going to end up in the finals anyway. 
But then I thought a little bit more about it, and I wonder if the fact that the other side had to play another game on Sunday gave you a significant advantage in that championship game Sunday night. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it an advantage to not play in that semi. Uh, it's just nice knowing that we are in the final because uh, you still have to win that semi, and whoever's coming up to play that game is usually playing quite well. Um, it Actually, at points I've found that being able to play that semifinal because it's on the same sheet can be a little bit of an advantage um, if you win it because you learn a lot about the ice. But for us, like, we just were really excited to know that we were getting into the final. And um, Tracy has, it was her first podium finish at the Scotties, so we were really excited for her. We knew we were getting her um, a medal of some sort, and we just really wanted it to be gold. And so much attention, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week was, of course, and, and I think rightfully so, on, on Jennifer Jones. And this being her mm-hmm. last Scotties, or presumably her last Scotties. Did you almost feel by the time Sunday rolled around that you were playing the villains in this scenario? Like so many people were were, were cheering on Jennifer Jones that you guys must have thought, um, we're pretty good too, you know? <laughs> Actually, the crowds were quite fair, uh, considering that, that she's a, definitely a fan favorite. Um, but the crowds in Calgary were amazing. They were, the weekend was sold out. People were trying to get tickets and they couldn't. And they were all cheering for good shots. Um, Jen did get to a really nice cheer at the end for, I mean, her great career, everything she's done for curling. Uh, but they were, they were pretty fair to us too. So I can't complain there. <laughs> now it's not to suggest you guys disappeared after your last Scotty's win, but, uh, but you know, it had been a couple of years. So was this a feeling of almost like getting back to the top of the mountain, a bit of a relief? I wouldn't call it a relief, but definitely I'm very excited to, I didn't realize, like, I, I know that our last time that we won was in 2017, but I didn't really do the math on how many years that was. And um, it, uh, we've been, we were close in between. Um, and then obviously the pandemic and all that. And uh, we, we just really, we work really hard and um, we've had a great season and I just felt like it was our year. We just really wanted to, um, have another opportunity to wear the maple leaf again. It's it's been a little bit of time, and uh, we're we're always proud to wear maple leaf and represent our country. And um, we will we will do it very excitedly coming up soon. Do you remember being honored along with the rest of the team at an Ottawa Senators game around 2017? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I told that story earlier because very in Saskatchewan, very rarely do we ever get to go to an NHL game ever. And uh, my wife was kind enough to surprise me with tickets in the second row. And uh, I remember seeing your team honored. And I've had different points in my life where I followed curling really, really closely uh, and not so much. So I remember thinking what's this rink all about? And then I did some research and and saw how much success you had had. The fact that there has been such a long gap, I guess seven years isn't that long, um, as Pete pointed out, does that make you appreciate this maybe a little bit more than you may have in other years? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you always appreciate it. You go into the Scotties and you never know when it's going to be your last time there. And um, we never take that for granted because it's not an easy event to not only play in, but to win is so tough. Um, the way that they've changed the format is making it uh, even tougher. The top teams in Canada are always there. So we always just go in and we're, we're grateful to be there. But um, we really, like we put a lot of work in. We were just 
really excited that we we were at, putting ourselves in a position at the end where we could win this game. I, I remember a time when I'm not sure so many fans got so amped up for the Worlds. It seemed like the Briar and the Scotties were it. And then after that, people maybe wouldn't pay as much attention. And it seems like the Worlds has a little more juice uh, in recent years than it had before. Is that a product of the rest of the world catching up to Canada? Yes, it is a very different looking world field than it used to be. Uh, it was always, the women's field is always strong. Uh, now it is incredibly tough. It, there are no easy games. And I think that that's the kind of a misconception that a lot of Canadians have. It's like, oh, well, curling is Canada's sport. And we, uh, if you don't come, anything less than a gold medal is a failure. And it's really hard to get a gold medal at the world. Um, it's been, there's tons of good teams. Uh, so we're definitely going to have to bring our A game and uh, we'll, we'll do our very best when we get there. And honestly, I think that's good for the sport. I mean, hockey's seeing the same thing. Other countries other countries can win. It's okay. And it, it, uh, it just makes the sport stronger overall. Have you, have you started to think about the field at Worlds and, and who's going to present problems? All, honestly, all of the teams that are at Worlds, we are going to have to play our best game against. There are no easy games, and we see a lot of these teams at the Grand Slams that we play in and the regular tour events all year. So there's a lot of the teams that we we know because we've played them throughout the year how tough it is to beat these other countries. So um, it's going to be a tough a tough event. The, the teams that are there are all very high-level teams, and... Um, I mean, so are we. So we're, we're just going to have to make sure we're just a little bit sharper than they are. She's been a champion for 24 hours, Pete. Let her enjoy it before she starts thinking. What's the next thing? Year. What's the next thing? <laughs> On to the next. Uh, this year's World Women Curling Championships will be held in Sydney, Nova Scotia. So on one hand, are you glad that it's just a short hop, skip, and a jump to be there? Or do you kind of wish that, you know, it'd be kind of nice to go to Switzerland or to Sweden or one of these other countries? Oh. Like the trips are really fun. Um, it, there's an added element of, I mean, the time change and jet lag and all that, and um, some unknowns when it comes to food. And uh, when you're in Canada, you have all that information and you have control <laughs> over uh, what you can eat. And I think that there's just a little bit of advantage when you get to play at home in a world championship. Uh, it is nice to go and explore other areas of the world but usually we don't get a ton of time to go around sightseeing where we're in competition mode and we want to make sure that we're resting when we're not playing so sometimes you get a day at the beginning but that's usually about it so um playing at home i i think in an event of this magnitude is definitely um something that we we appreciate and it's it's going to be a fun week can you give us a feel for what East Coast curling fans are like. I mean, certainly certain areas of the country, the the support is hotter than maybe other areas. Oh, what's what's it like? Oh, when you head out east, um, I think the crowds are pretty. We've played there before. We played um, at Scotty's there actually. I think it was in twenty nineteen, so it hasn't been that long. And the the crowds are pretty good. Uh, I think it it all depends just um, what events go on there. So I, I assume that. People are going to be pretty excited that the best teams from all around the world are going to be competing there, and we're excited to put on a good show for them. Because this isn't a new territory for you guys, you've, you've been here, you've done this, 
Does that help with the preparation in terms of, okay, we know on this day we need to do this, on this day this is what we're looking at. It, does it make it a little bit easier? Yeah, it does. It All the other world teams, like, they get to go to worlds pretty much every year. Um, the same teams from most of these countries have one, maybe two really good teams. So they often will get the experience of a world championship. Um, so they're very comfortable in those environments, whereas in Canada, the teams are often changing. So we actually don't uh, have as much experience with knowing what that world championship is going to look like. And for Tracy, this is her first win. So this is gonna. This is her first world championship. This is her, her first time doing all this. So uh, we're going to try to brief her and prepare her as best that we can and share some, some tidbits of what it feels like to have that maple leaf on her back and uh, try to just kind of dive in and um, so there's no surprises and everyone feels comfortable. But uh, Canada definitely is a, a bit of a disadvantage that way because of those other countries that get to go to Worlds every year. It starts to not feel as hard or as much pressure because it's something that's a routine thing. Every year they're like, yeah, we're going to be going to Worlds and uh, this is what we know is going to happen there and this is what we can expect. Whereas for us, I mean, it's been a little bit since we've been to our last one and uh, like the format for qualifying has changed and everything like that. So it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve when we get there, but uh, we have a good support team there to help prepare us for everything. Emma, sandwiched between your championship yesterday and your appearance at the Worlds will be the uh, briar that will be here in Regina from March 1st to 10th. Uh, Do you take time to sit and relax and watch that tournament too? Oh yeah, definitely. I actually... It's one of my favorite events to watch because um, I can just watch and cheer for my friends that are there and uh, just enjoy it and not, there's no feeling of needing somebody to win for points reasons or anything. I just cheer for good shots and hope that it's a, a good week and uh, the best team wins at the end. What do you think of Mike McEwen's Saskatchewan chances? No pressure, you're only on live radio. <laughs> well, they seem to play quite well at their provincials, I saw some of the highlight reel shots um, and they've all been there before, which is definitely helpful. So I think that they're going to have a good shot. Well, we hope so too. And uh, we will watch that with added interest. Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment that you and your group uh, pulled off in Calgary. And again, uh, I feel like that, rivalry maybe not rivalry that matchup at the end of the tournament is something that we'll think about for a long time to come the jones versus holman rink and uh go enjoy it it's not every week you win a national championship so make sure you take a chance or take some time to smell the roses thank you so much that is Emma Miskew joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. And I mentioned, I kept calling her the third. She was the second on this year's ah, team. She used to be get the that third right. yep. on the Rachel Holman rink. I'm guessing in the back of her mind, she's going, yeah, that all sounds good and relaxing, but I want to get home and do some laundry. <laughs> well, you know, and when they, when they get out on the road, I think that's true for the athletes. It's true for everybody. And we forget that these often aren't athletes who are making like millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. They still have to live regular lives like the rest of us. And that is really hard to juggle when we consider the expectation and the weight of expectation that uh, they're under in these national events. And uh, all guests appearing on the Western pizza hotline, 
perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like sablaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Back to wrap next. This is the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Final segment of the Monday Sports Cage for ConnexusArtCenter.ca. Brendan McGuire and Pete Pasco with you. And uh, hey, you know what? We we aired uh, during that last interview. There are actually we two, probably aired a few ways. But two yeah. local rinks that are going to be competing in the Briar. One, of course, the Mike McEwen Rink, Team right. Saskatchewan. Right. Another skipped by a Regina skip, uh, Catlin Schneider, who is skipping Team BC. Well, that's not local, Pete. Come that's on. curling. Nobody really lives anywhere anymore. Do you uh, mind the free agent shuffling that we see with these curlers? Like Didn't love it. Say recognize. Didn't love it at first, represent? but now it's just it's part of the game. So what are you gonna do? I think at first I was cold to the idea. We had Kirk Myers on this program last week, and mm-hmm. he says he has been getting offers from other provinces, hmm. but he says he just can't envision him curling for another province. Hmm. Well, I imagine there's probably a lot of that with a lot of the guys and ladies, the, the the loyalty to their home province. But I don't know. Factors might determine you might be looking for a new team or, or you might not be playing the position you'd like to play. So, yeah, I guess having that option is all right. I'm okay with it now, though. Mm-hmm. I think it just adds a little bit of juice. As More long as it's not like and- four people from all over the country getting together in Winnipeg and calling themselves Team Manitoba. That's that's goofy. But Right. They still have the rule. And in fact, some of the skips have actually complained that the rules are still too restrictive. Hmm. Because Brad Gushu lost one of his best players because he was moving to... They already had their import. Hmm. And I'm going to say, I think it was Gallant was moving. Hmm. And Gallant was moving. He was their first or second. I couldn't remember. Or their lead or second. Sorry, getting my curling... <laughs> terminology down but he was moving to i think alberta and gushu just went off about what he thought was the for lack of a better term silliness of the rules and the restrictions right i do remember that now i don't know i think you have to have some sort of guidelines in place otherwise it is literally the wild west people moving changing teams every year i don't think you want that from a continuity standpoint you would like spark a bidding war wouldn't you yeah probably like people who aren't going to make money off of this, people who just want to have this. You'll mm-hmm. get a group of corporate sponsors who say, hey, we'll pay this curler, we'll pay this curler. And uh, Saskatchewan would probably dominate the field would be my guess because I feel like sponsors out here would care more about it mm-hmm. than sponsors anywhere else. Be like the NBA forming super teams a few years ago. I thought it was cool when they were getting Nunavut involved and then Nunavut withdrew this year. Mm. I can't remember if they withdrew from both, but... If they're going to be in the tournament, they have to be competitive. Yeah. And we had Russ Howard on this program. Well, we've had him on many times. And I remember asking him this question. It's probably last year. I said, are we going to see a change like where none of it becomes relevant? And he said, I wish I could say yes. Mm. But sadly, I think the answer is no. Mm. And apparently they don't have a proper facility up there. Like, mm. like they can't even make proper ice. That's a problem. And that's also ironic considering where they are. Should be right. lots of ice. Right. Yeah, I don't know what you do with that. Do you just automatically include the provincial and territorial champs every year? Do you have some sort of ranking system where maybe the top 12 teams get in regardless of where they're from? I don't know. There are changes coming, I'm sure, but I don't know what they are. 
I don't think that you can bring in a squad year after year if they're just going to go 0-8 or however many games they play in the regulation round robin. Mm -hmm. But I still think you should leave the door open for that team to come back Mm -hmm. and always just say, hey, if you get a proper facility, if you want to come back in, we'll look at your application. We'll look at it favorably. You've chosen to withdraw because, quite frankly, if you're in the tournament year after year and you go 0 for Mm -hmm. and you don't win any games, you're not really advancing the sport Mm -hmm. in your home territory. Maybe they should do what the World Junior Hockey Championship does. Have, you know, an elite category for the top teams and another category for the not-so-much teams that Tiered. hopefully try to make it up to the first tier. And in the meantime, they play teams of comparable skill and maybe get better that way. Would you maybe try to move it along where you say, okay, for your territory, until you become successful, we're going to give you a leg up where we will allow your team the flexibility to train anywhere hmm. in, in the country, hmm. and you only need to have one person from Nunavut hmm. on your squad. Interesting. Maybe. Maybe that helps. I mean, you hate to just dismiss an entire region of people and saying, no, sorry, you're not good at this sport. Well, how are they going to get good? So, yeah, if there's, if there's modifications that can be made to help them, because let's face it, you're not going to make a change today that's going to result in Nunavut winning the briar. It's just not going to happen. But over time, maybe they'll be competitive. Maybe they'll take a shot at it. I'm just excited that we finally have in per- not only in-person events, but we're seeing big crowds again. It just seemed to me like the crowds, it was a little different in the United States where once the restrictions were lifted, everybody came flooding back yep. to all these uh, things. And we haven't seen that in Canada. That's, that's part of the Winnipeg jet thing. That's part of the... Um, you know, there were issues with Pat's attendance. Well, there were a whole lot of issues there. But I feel like we're finally back to normal. I believe that. Like I when I watched so. the Scotties and I saw everybody in that arena, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like there was any residue left over from the pandemic. And it, we learned there are a lot of things that we can live without during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things that we cannot live without. And toilet I think. Paper. <laughs> All the toilet paper. Were you one of the people at Costco who hoarded? No, no, I was. Shame on you, Pete. Walking the aisles in the grocery I store, saw looking you at the hoarders, and I'm going, "Wow, you guys eat a lot of bran." But but that kind of showed us that we still need in-person gatherings. We still need big crowds. We still need events that are exciting to be at, didn't mm-hmm. it? Yes, absolutely. I think even just for a sense of community, and then throw in a sport that people care about, revenue. All that good stuff. Yes, I think live sports hopefully is back. I think the Briar is a pretty cool event. I know I spent a lot of time at the Briar Patch last time, and I've never actually been to a curling game in person. You ever go? Like, I've been to lots, but not like not high level. I've never actually bought a ticket, gone in, and watched mm. a Scotty's event or a Briar. As a fan and as a reporter, yes. I was here when uh, when the Schmirler rink returned from the olympics with gold medals and then we're pete's been around for the ice i've been around for a couple days yeah and that was one of the coolest experiences ever just the at the time agrodome just exploding for the schmirler rink when they came in very cool and uh we will make more memories just like that when the montana's briar comes to the brant center march 1st to 10th here in regina okay we made it we survived let's do it again 
This has been another edition of the Sports Cage for ConnexusArtCenter.ca. Coming up on Tuesday's program, Glenn Suter for Quality Tire. We will visit with Rash Madani for Smart Investing Solutions and so much more. You have been listening to the Sports Cage, which is a proud presentation of the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.